This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, and thank you for joining us this morning. Gosh, we're doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for 28 years now, and I've enjoyed every single show doing it for that long, and I'm going to enjoy today's show as well. Now, if you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, or have an investment question on this crazy market going on, give us a call here at the studio, 866 577 Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Good. Good to be here as always. Yeah, we checked in a little bit late this morning, so I'm kind of like halfway done, halfway set up. But we got a lot of great things to talk about. So let, let's start off with um, Robinhood. Uh, Robinhood. What happened? Uh, you know. And did you see any of it? The uh, the uh, Congress kind of. Yeah, the Congress thing. Uh, not too much of it. I, I do know there was some some backlash by some financial people saying it's like, yep, Congress just does not know how financial markets work is part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, and th there's no doubt about that because <laughs> that is the case. Uh, but when I looked at the the CEO of Robinhood, I thought, is this a teen thing here with teenagers showing up? I mean, the guy looks so young. I, do you know how old he is? I do not. Okay, yeah. I mean, he just looks so young. I was, I, you know, good for him for doing what he's done, but it was just, I think, you know, perhaps some lack of experience there with him. But uh, the recent debacle with Robinhood and GameStop has raised some serious questions about Robinhood's future. Uh, to begin, a recent survey from StockTwits. I've never heard of that. Have you heard of that before? Um, yeah, I have not actually. The, the name sounded a little familiar, but I, I'm not. I can't say. I've, yeah, I see it all the time, but. <laughs> You know, I, I think it is kind of more of a younger crowd that, that uses StockTwits. Yeah, and it, and it could be, too, that uh, just sounds like a familiar name, StockTwits, because it sounds like an easy name to remember. But uh, of 10,000 people, a survey they did uh, showed that 40% of investors are planning on changing brokers with most of those planning to switch from Robinhood. And the next issue is that uh, while they're going, uh, has grown their customer base, it does appear to be taking hold of the larger investors. I mean, according to Barron's, uh, they have a very low account size. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at it and, you know, it's kind of uh, interesting. When you talk to people, I, I wouldn't say a lot of our clients use Robinhood. It's more kind of, I, I'm going to say, people my age, my friends. I hear that's a little bit more popular with, with that crowd. And even at that point, a lot of those people on Robinhood, they still have other accounts at Charles Schwab, so it's not even their full asset size. Like, yeah, I have a couple thousand dollars in Robinhood. So, I mean, if you look at it, Barron's actually estimated the average account size is about $5,000. I mean, there's right. not much money in Robinhood. <laughs> and it begs the question is how much in assets do they really have? You compare that to Charles Schwab, kind of Fidelity, you know, TD Ameritrade, the other larger players there, they estimate that the average account size there is more than 100000 so it's more than 20 times the size of what they're estimating Robinhood to be. So it's it doesn't seem to be taking hold, and it seems like there's 
almost a lack of comfortability with the interface, the brokerage, Robinhood as well. Right, right. And, and also, too, those, the small accounts, their, their expenses are, are there. Uh, and will they ever be able to get to the, the higher ones? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, when I think of Robinhood, I, I think of small accounts. I mean, well, you, you think of that. And I mean, this this whole negative news that, that they're receiving here, they really angry, like angered a lot of younger consumers with it. I don't think that's going to help them feel more comfortable with the site. I mean, shutting down trading, I, I kind of understand why they did it. There's this whole idea of the, the settlement and then clearing houses. It's a very complicated thing. It's not just like, oh, they shut down trading because they hate people. That's not why they did it. There's all these capital requirements. And it just irks me when when these senators talk about how, oh, this is not fair to the little guy. You know why it wasn't fair to the little guy? Because all these regulations that you want to put on these companies, that that's the problem, you right. know? It's, and, and I got to say, crazy. the little guy should not have been there anyway. No, they shouldn't. They should not have. Right. But I just think it's hilarious that you have these government officials blaming these companies because they imposed all these regulations that they have to follow. And that's the reason that they had to shut down trading. Not because like, oh, yeah, we don't care about the little guy. That is not true. And it, it just... It drives me crazy when I hear stuff like that. It is very complicated. I mean, we're in the industry. I don't even understand it fully of how the clearinghouse works. I mean, there's so many details that go into the capital requirements of it. I mean, it's a very, very complicated process where they could have been liable for all of these trades, billions of dollars, and it would have been very detrimental to the business. So very complicated process. I completely disagree with Congress. I completely disagree with a lot of people that talk about how Robinhood was wrong in doing this. They couldn't afford not to do it, basically. Right. The thing, too, that people don't realize, there's a simple thing I've known for years in trading. It's called a trade imbalance. If you have more people trying to buy than sell, you can't match those up. you got to close things down and wait to get those that opposite side of the trade. You've got to have for every buy, you've got to have a sell and vice versa. So if you've got all these people coming in and they want to buy, which was happening, why the stock went up so much, if you can't get the shares to sell, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. Well, and the big problem is a lot of people don't know this. Your trade doesn't settle. It's called T plus two. Your trade actually doesn't settle for two days. Yeah. So that's the complication that they were running into. But, I mean, long story short, is them not having that kind of capability to control it is really, I think, going to hurt their comfortability with it. As you said, right. they're not attracting big dollars. Well, I don't think it's going to help them now attract more right. big dollars in limited trading in this. And you don't realize what you said, but you said the long story short. Yeah. That was the whole problem. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and again, there was, a, and then we'll move on from this, but I, I, I did read about a security guard who borrowed $20,000 to do this, lost, I think, more than half of it. He had a good portfolio. He he got sucked into the hype. And, and once again, I mean, he, he got burnt. And it's just like, if you don't know what you're doing, I know the hype is so exciting. You know, I went to Vegas uh, last weekend, and I'm looking. And I, I'm sorry, I'm looking at these people sitting at the hundred dollar per hand blackjack table. I'm thinking, what are you doing? I mean, you play ten hands, that's a thousand dollars. But I, I think some people want to get involved in that. And we talk about how boring we do things, but boring is nice because it keeps it going. But I think people want that chance to hit it big, and and unfortunately, they hit it. What's the opposite of big? No, we lose money. <laughs> yeah, they hit it big just the wrong way. And I, I know you said we're going to move on, but I, I did want to kind of talk sure. about because Robinhood's estimated to go public next year. And I, I really am having questions about their valuation. I mean, the other thing that they talk about here, you look at how Robinhood actually generates revenue. And this is actually a big concern. And 
I do agree with Congress actually in this regard. Robinhood is estimated actually receives about 80% of its revenue from what's known as payment for order flow. Now, this has been a practice that has been scrutinized by the SEC as it can be misleading to investors. And this source of revenue actually makes up a much smaller portion of the all overall business for the other major players. Now, what is payment for order flow? It's actually the compensation brokerages receive for directing orders to other parties to do the trade execution. This allows brokerages to get a share of the money, the market maker's pocket from the spread between the bid and the ask prices. Now, the thing is, you see, oh, free trades, free trades, free trades. They're not really free necessarily at times. This is something we've talked about. (laughs) There is what we call the bid and the ask spread. And there's this question that you kind of start to ask, well, if they're getting compensated for these different orders, let's say you have a stock trading at, just make it easy, $10. Well, let's say you want to buy that stock. Now you go out there, Robinhood's executing the trade. Well, actually, we have these orders over here from Citadel, the, the clearinghouse. They will pay us a little bit more money if we buy it at $10.05. Now, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but you multiply that across many, many shares. That could cost you a lot in your portfolio, much more than $5 per trade. So there's been this question, are they getting the best execution price when they're receiving this payment for order flow? It really does kind of create this conflict of interest. And as I said, it's like, are they really doing this to help the consumer? Or are they trying to get the best prices for themselves where they generate more revenue? Right. And and the other thing, too, is that... uh for them as a brokerage firm, you talk about for the, the, the investor, well, think about for the brokerage firm when they could have got it for 10.03 versus 10.05, that's two cents times how many trades they do in a day, a week, a month. I mean, that's a big thing. And, and now it's becoming public. We're talking about it. Business News is talking about it. I don't know if the average investor is going to see it, but it is something that actually is going to be I, I, when they go public, and I, I don't think they're going to go well. They, I don't think they'll even go public because I think this is too big of a thing uh, for them to go public right now. I mean, it's just, it is a practice, as I said, that's heavily scrutinized. And I mean, it is it is disclosed to consumers. So it's not like, oh, well, they didn't tell anybody about it. They, yeah. But the problem is, disclosures are how many pages long? <laughs> you yeah, know? No, no. It's, it's buried in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think I said before I saw that I think they're opening uh, documents like 36 pages. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just. There's, there's things that I won't read because they're, they're just too long. Uh, same thing there. Everything's there. You should read everything. And, and I know people, when they do business, they hate it because I do read the contracts. And, well, what about this? What about this? I hate that. But I don't know to open an account if I was, I don't know, 25 years old and I had $5,000. Would I really take the time to read a 36-page document? Probably not. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I will say kind of last thing on this is, um, you know, given the new administration, uh, I they're going to be, a, I think, a lot – heavier scrutinizing of oh, this yeah. practice. I, I do worry about it. As I said, 80% of your revenue, I mean, people have talked about doing away with this practice of payment for order flow, even if it's reduced and the disclosures <laughs> are, are much more strenuous. I mean, you could see a return to commission non-free trading. You could see the, right. the return to $5, $10 trades because it, it's, it might be the same exact cost. It's just more clear, I guess, of, of what's going on. And there's not that kind of hidden spread between the bid and the ask where you know five dollars a trade people freak out about it but in reality as i said you multiply that across how many shares you're buying the five dollars per trade really wasn't that bad in terms of if you're not getting the best execution price so be cautious of that i am very concerned about robin hood's business practice if 
payment for order flow does continue to be heavily scrutinized, and I think it's going to be something that the new SEC chair and the Biden administration looks at very, very closely. And you know, people that lost money, they're going to blame Robinhood. It's like, yep, no, I'm leaving. And what I say, the number was like 40% uh, are, are leaving. So that's that's a pretty high number. So yep. we'll we'll see what happens over the next few months. But I, I don't think they'll go public next year. So well, let's move on. And again, I'm glad you brought those points up because very important. But uh, tax season for unemployment. This is something I'm, I want to make sure we get out for people. Because as you prepare to do your taxes for 2020, if you took any unemployment, be sure to factor in that into your tax equation. I mean, many people do not realize that unemployment is still taxable. And in a year that unemployment was boosted and extended for many, people need to be ready to pay those taxes if they did not elect to have them withheld. And again, that's a big boost. I mean, some people are getting, what, eight, $900 a week? And that's all taxable. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is something that I think a lot of people don't realize. I mean, unlike your, your typical paycheck where, you know, you have the withholdings done for you, you have to go out of your way essentially to get taxes withheld on your unemployment. So it's not just like, oh, it's, I don't have to worry about it. I was just selling unemployment. You know, they took the taxes out already. No, you had to go out of your way to make sure you had those taxes withheld. And most of the time it, it's it's not that big of a deal because, you know, the unemployment's kind of a, a temporary stopgap for people where it's not this huge $400 per week added boost. Plus, right. they extended the period you could get unemployment where, I mean, gosh, some people were probably collecting unemployment for, what, uh, nine months last yeah, year? I mean, enough. you could have had a, a decent-sized income from unemployment that, that you could have some decent-sized taxes on. So really need to be prepared for that. Uh, now, the other thing is, unlike you know a normal paycheck, you don't have Social Security or Medicare taxes, yeah. which is kind of nice on unemployment. And California is one of the states that doesn't tax unemployment, but you do have to be prepared for the federal taxes yeah. there. Yeah, and the federal tax, I mean, and again, you said like eight, nine months you're on uh, unemployment. We'll, we'll say eight months because I think probably we'll start in April. Yeah. Uh, and you were bringing in, we'll say, what, uh, 700 a week, 24. So you, you're bringing in, we'll make it easy, 2,500 uh, a month. I mean, you're, you're talking, what, nearly $20,000 that's untaxed? Unless, and if you're single, that's probably going to be a problem for you. Yeah. And that, that's who I think, once again, guess who's gonna, probably going to get hit? The waiters, the waitresses, the bus boys, and stuff like that. we got to make sure we talk to your brother Nash, make sure that he, because <laughs> I think he got some unemployment too. So, yeah, but it's going to be a surprise for people. And unfortunately, it's, it's going to be a thing. And, and actually, I think Goldman Sachs came up with a thing, uh, projecting that individuals could owe approximately $50 billion in unexpected federal and state taxes, obviously nationwide, but that's still a lot of money. And the government, they need that money. (laughs) (laughs) I would not be surprised if there's a lot of outrage over the unemployment. I thought this, I I think there's, there's actually a study done that 30% of people didn't know unemployment was taxable. So there's going to be 30% of people. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad for the tax guys. If they go to the tax guy, what? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, and, and well, I I guess we can just do the same thing they want to do with the student loans. Okay. We'll just forgive it. You know, that has actually been rumored. Has it really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, everything's been moving. Well, what about me? What about my house? Can you just pay off my house for me? So it's, it's a crazy situation. And actually, uh, we did a post on that, on our social media on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. I know LinkedIn got like, gosh, I can't even remember a number of comments on it. There's a lot of people against it. I, I'd say eh, nine out of 10 are against it. Every once in a while you get that one person say, oh, you know, it's well, a lot of people are against it. I mean, we're kind of getting off track here, but a lot of people are yeah. against it because they already paid 
for their school. <laughs> it's not right. fair. <laughs> and, and you know what? And, and again, we'll just do that real quick. But um, And what it shows is that they pay that off. It's pushing them to the government to where, well, who wants to pay it for the future? Well, my older brother got it for free, didn't, so why should I pay? So that it is talk that's the way they're trying to get to make it free for everybody going forward, which is, I think, a bad thing. Yep. So, well, let's move on to something that was exciting for me, and, and, and that was the sales growth on uh, retail sales. I mean, I love positive news coming out, and it looks like consumers are feeling good in the month of January as retail sales increased 5.3% compared to December, uh, and they were 7.4% higher than January 2020. That was an important number that they were higher than last year. Now, there's, there's some details to this, but the monthly increase far exceeded the estimate of 1.2%, and the gains occurred in several areas. Um, I was just happy to see this, um, but the areas that did real well were what? Furniture and a couple other ones, I think, did really well. Yeah, I mean, furniture and home furnishings. I mean, this has been something we've talked about. Where there's just such a huge backlog. Yeah, I waited forever to get my furniture. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you actually look at, though, the, the details here. Furniture and home furnishings, uh, they climbed 12%. Electronics climbed 14.7%. And, and, again, not surprised here, online spending grew 11%. And, hey, even restaurants and bars saw growth of 6.9%. I think this was because we did shut things down again in December, so we were allowed to kind of reopen some things right. in January. And, and California has a large population when you're looking in terms yeah. of the whole country, so they can really move the economy in statistics like this if we shut down, reopen, do things of that right. nature. Yeah, and not everything is like San Diego. San Diego seems to be slow-moving. California's kind of slow-moving, but there are some things moving and, and you can't and again i always tell people you got to look nationwide what's going on because you can't look in your own neighborhood because here in san diego there's a few restaurants that have kind of opened indoors i think you went out last night it was outdoors uh there's a few restaurants i go to and i won't go to them unless they do the indoor dining which some of them are doing but when that starts really opening up which i think is getting close i think next month we could see even better number because uh i think we had the number didn't we for how many uh people were uh no, I think that was a different number. I think it was an employment number, I'm thinking. But the, the, the employment number is still high for yeah. restaurants. Yeah. So so when that starts changing, that, that will help out a lot. But uh, given the pa pandemic, restaurants and bars continue to battle back. But unfortunately, sales are still down 16.6% compared to last year. Groups that have benefited, including building materials, which was up 19% higher than January. And online shopping made on fire with growth of 28.7% compared to last January. So we got some good things going on here. But there is one worry that we do have that we've talked about last year that could be changing. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I'm reading your mind here or not, but I mean, I'm just kind of looking at as we kind of lap these numbers mm -hmm. in 2020. I mean, you, you've seen such strong growth in these different areas of home furnishings on online sales where it's going to be tougher comparisons where you're not going to have 30% growth on online sales any longer. You're going to have, you know, I think we're still going to see some growth. I think it's going to moderate. I think online sales might be up, you know, a few percent right. as we move forward just because we pulled so much demand for it. That was the only place you could go shopping for a yeah, little yeah. bit that it's going to be hard to lap that. And I do think you're going to see restaurants and bars. I think you're going to see huge growth in year-over-year -year comparisons. When you're coming off a base of zero, it's very hard to, you right. know, not see <laughs> astronomical raises. And I, I, I do think, as, as we kind of talked about, as California reopens, I know you said you got to look nationally, but I really do think that, California has held back the rest of the nation because we hold so much of the, the night scene, the life scene, where if we start to reopen things, you're going to see a 
bigger gyration in that number. Because places like California and New York, they occupy a lot of food and dining when you look across the country. I know it's just two states, but I mean, you close down those two states, it's going to be hard to actually grow the overall right. nation without those two states participating. Right, right. <clears throat> but uh, well, let me uh, go ahead and open the phone lines. Uh, you want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Phone number is here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Uh, and Chase, you kind of misread my mind a little bit because when I was talking about how we talked about this past week saying that that big reopening may not be so big because oh. there are some things that they're doing pretty well now. So we're kind of waiting, like, wow, April, May is going to be a big reopening. Well, we're kind of doing okay now, so maybe it won't be such a big reopening. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I I do worry. I mean, there's so much hype built around it. I mean, kind of speaking a little bit about our portfolio, we we don't do a whole lot of selling, but these last two years have been so crazy. Well, crazy. not last two years. I mean, <clears throat> really this last four year, the 2020 year. and the start of 2021, <laughs> it's been just crazy. We, we've, we've felt like traders. We've, I think, done like 10 trades in the last year. It's just because things have moved so quickly. And we've had companies go up, we've had companies go down a lot, and just making sure it's like, wow, it hit our target sell price. And we've already done, I think, two or three trades this year so far, selling out of businesses. I think four. I think it's been four. It's been four or three. I think it's three. Three. I okay, think three. three this year. Three. Three this year. Okay. And, and it is funny. I talked to, uh, got an email from a client yesterday. It's like, are you guys changing your philosophy being traders? Like, <laughs> and, and again, three three trades in uh, what, uh about a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, almost two months is not really trading, but it is kind of funny because it, it looks that way. It's like, no, but what's happening is that we've talked about the expensive market, how expensive things are. Well, now they're starting to hit our companies to where they're hitting the target sell price. Yeah. So when they hit that target sell price, we sell. And I've been doing this for 40 years. This tells me that, and it always happens this way, when we start selling, Sooner or later, the market comes down because everything's overpriced, and we're pretty conservative on, on what we do. So I, I do expect to see probably a, a pullback. I'm, I'm telling people in the next few months here, and we're going to be excited about it because now we have cash to step in and buy another good company or two at presumably a lower price. Yeah, and, and, and the whole <coughs> point of kind of bringing up the selling and, and the reason I, I'm a little bit concerned about having a correction is things have recovered so substantially. And why is that? Well, because people are expecting this big reopening. And, I mean, it is something we talked about a lot last year about people are missing the reopening. They're missing the reopening. And now, all of a sudden, now that's all baked <clears throat> in in the stock market. Yeah. You know, all these companies are very – look at travel companies. They're really pretty fairly valued slash overpriced many times in terms of their valuations. It's like, well, I don't want to be in that. I know we're reopening, but what are they going to do? <laughs> Go to 25 times earnings? That's not going to happen. So yeah. I'm very concerned that I think the reopening trade has gone too far. And now all of a sudden it's really if we have any type of reopening that's not as exciting as people anticipate, oh, man, it, it's going to be problematic for a lot of those reopening companies. And I think there's going to be a lot of surprise from people. It's like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. It, it's it's going to be a problem. And I, yeah. I think we're we could see I don't think we're going to see, again, a 40 percent decline or anything like we saw last year. But I think we could easily see a, a 10, 15% pullback as people say, wow, this is really not what we were expecting. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. So it's, 
it's, it's, and again, then you got to look at, well, what's going to happen for the Encore? And there may not be one, and that could be some difficulties. But I still think this will be, for our portfolio, a good year. The market, I'm not so sure about. And, and, and the other thing people have to realize is there is a disconnect from the stock market and the economy. Like people last year were saying, well, how can the stock market be growing when the economy's having such a hard time? Because the stock market is forward-looking. So now what we could see is the economic numbers could actually be much stronger than last year. But if they're not as high as people anticipate, the stock market's going to struggle. Yeah. They don't always move in lockstep with one another. So be very cautious of that opinion. Exactly. All right. <clears throat> Again, I got, I got this throat thing going on. I, I think I have a little cold or something. <clears throat> uh, Brendan? I need a cough button. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, the cough button's in here. So, so I just raise my hand, say I'm going to cough, and you can uh, <laughs> do that for me. All right. Well, let's go to the phones. Uh, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Best Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Morning, guys. Um, Padre stock through the roof again. Now we get to reap the benefit benefits of a 14-year contract and pay those dividends, Fernando Tatis. There we go. <laughs> I was hoping you guys could look at XL Fleet for me. It's a electrical vehicle company. Oh, okay. Now, did you buy that? Looking at buying that? What do you? Thinking? I I was thinking about maybe buying it. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at uh, XL Fleet Corporation. Their symbol is XL. Unfortunately, here, Tim, no PE ratio. Uh, they've not reported earnings. These are still September 30th numbers. Uh, no price to earnings. Now, I don't know if this is possible, but no price to sales. And it could be that this company is not selling anything yet, but it's a what we call the potential electric car company. I do see, however, a price to book value of 10.4 versus 10.7. So that's good, but also no price to cash flow. So this company may not be making any money at this point in time. Could be in the building. Uh, of the company at this point. Uh, I see no sales. Uh, earnings per share were down uh, 17477 uh, The balance sheet does look okay. I say okay because you got a current ratio of 0.35, which means they don't have much cash at all. If they can't pay their bills, they could be forced into bankruptcy because could say, sorry, we're not going to loan you any more money. But actually, they have a clean debt to equity, no debt on the balance sheet, so maybe they'll have to go to the market and actually get some debt. Uh, no return on equity, no net profit margin, nothing else. And I'm, I'm going to guess, Chase, there's probably no earnings for this company at all going forward. Yeah, I was just kind of looking at, at it a little bit more detail. Unfortunately, there, there's no analyst that, that really followed at this time, so there's no <laughs> way to get a target sell price. Um, and I, it seems like they are more of the auto parts. I, I was concerned they were another one of these electric car makers, but they, they do supply <laughs> Uh, solutions for maybe auto manufacturers oh. in terms of the parts, which I think is much more beneficial if they can get in with, with different companies and find those contracts. I think there's just too much competition in the EV space. And I mean, gosh, I was reading GM's conference call last week, and it is just phenomenal. I think everybody's going to have a hard time competing against GM in the EV space, the AV space. They're, they're just so far ahead that it concerns me. An auto parts company, hey, maybe they get a contract with GM to, to help with those auto parts or maybe a Toyota or one of those other players um, would definitely want to kind of look and understand more about it because this company already do, does have a $2.3 billion market cap. I mean, it, wow. it's, it's quite large for a company that <clears throat> hasn't even had any sales yet, so I want to know more yeah. about the uh, the contracts they're talking about having and, and kind of where they stand on that. But uh, 
as I think you can tell there, Tim, it's, a, it's definitely a gamble at this point. It, you said the market cap's $2.3 billion. What, what is your stock price? Uh, it's about, let's see, seventeen fifty-seven. dollars uh, Kind of trying to get some numbers here on the 52-week range. Uh, of course, my computer's being slow. There we go. So if we look at the 52-week range, it is $9.50. And wow, it went as high as $35 a share. Man, the market cap went in almost to $5 billion. I, that's crazy. I mean, I, I think Ford's market cap fell yeah. quite close to that at one point during that year. <laughs> and, and Tim, uh, not the normal company here. This is more of a speculative move. Um, there's just so much speculation, I think, in the electric car market. Even though it doesn't make cars, it actually is part of that, that industry, we'll call it. Um, it. It's just if you want to take a gamble, I'll say either buy the stock or go to Vegas. I mean, it's, it's pretty much I think, the same, yeah. <laughs> same play there. I, I, I think Fernando Tatis is a much safer bet there than XL Fleet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'll hold off and just keep my eye on it. I appreciate it. Okay, Tim, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, very interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I and, and I, I was wondering as Tim was talking, how many electric car companies, and I think, and not just car companies, but he said this is not a car company, but it's part of that industry. How many things are coming in like that? I mean, is it, and I think probably two years ago is maybe, I don't know, you had Tesla, maybe a few other ones. Uh, uh, I think it was like Karma or something or yeah, yeah. yeah so Fisker is Fisker. One. Fisker was another one. Yeah. So yeah, Karma is the Fisker Karma. Yeah. Fisker Karma. That's right. Right. Um, but now I think you've got. I'm going to guess 100, maybe more companies that are trying to get part of that uh, boom in electric cars. And I'd say by the time it's all said and done, probably five will be there. Because you got GM, again, as you said, heavily into it. Ford's trying to get into it. Porsche, Mercedes. I mean, all these big guys getting into it. And these little guys that have these startups, unless they have something really special that the big guys can't do, uh, they're here today, gone tomorrow. So Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that is just, I think, very speculative and as you said there's there's going to be a couple that do make it out but how much are they going to be working with the auto companies i, I know gm's talked a lot about their own technology that they've created i don't know who they use as suppliers for it but if they don't need suppliers let's say oh we, we don't need that we already have that technology right it's really going to hurt these auto part companies and then i don't know if tesla's on the same page <laughs> where it's like ah we don't need them either who <laughs> Tesla? Yeah. <laughs> Just my sure Brendan heard that. <laughs> but, I mean, you talk about these auto park companies. I don't know if you remember this one. This is another one as well. It went public via the SPAC-type right. process called QuantumScape Corporation. I don't know if you're this, – this is another Some, crazy I, story. Yeah, I think it did very well when it came out. And, and SPACs, that's a whole other speculative uh, area that I, I, I think is going to end badly for a lot of people. I mean, you're, you're putting money blindly into a pool. I'll, I'll say no more about it because I know we've got callers holding. But Yeah, just real quick on sure. QuantumScape. I, I just looking at this XL fleet thing <clears throat> made me go back to QuantumScape. And, and what they do is they actually uh, solid-state lithium metal batteries for electric vehicles. Well, at one point during the year, the current stock price is about sixty-two twenty-six. It went as high as $132.73. Wow. Their market cap at $62 a share is $22.6 billion dollars. Meaning their market cap was about $45 billion, $50 billion. I believe at one point they actually surpassed General Motors. For the market cap. <laughs> For wow. their market cap. It was just <laughs> insane what these stocks have done. Oh, it's an electric vehicle company. i got to get into it. Craziness. You'd be very, very cautious. And you could ride the hype and the momentum and do it as a momentum trade and make money off it. But longer term, I don't see how they hold these valuations. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be some that are going to make it. The thing is you don't know which ones. And, and that's a problem. You're going to have ones that people invest into. It could be quantum. It could be something else. In five years from now, they're gone. You know? Well, and as you said, they could make it. 
But it, if it has a $50 billion market cap, what's the company really worth? It's like they could be the supplier, the go-to yeah. supplier in five years, but they're not worth $50 billion. They could they could be that company, yeah. but their real valuation could be more like $25 billion. You could still lose money off of it. I was going to say $5 billion. <laughs> <Yeah. but> yeah. <laughs> no one really knows. So, All righty, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Yeah, hi, guys. An uh, interesting article written today on uh, Oracle in uh, Barron's there. And just kind of wondering what you think of it. It's been a holding of mine for, for a long time. And they're kind of wondering if it doesn't go through kind of a renaissance like uh, Microsoft did with cloud computing. Oh, that, that could be. an Oracle's been one company I've always been kind of interested in. I don't think I've ever bought it. I came close a couple of times. But it's just been a company that I kind of want to get into. I think it is one of the bigger software companies, I'll call it, in, in, in the industry, which I, I kind of like. And, and John, I was kind of surprised. I thought maybe you were calling in about Deer today because I did see uh, Deer did report great earnings. I think it was up 10%. So congratulations for holding on to John Deer. Yeah, big pop yesterday, about 30 bucks a share. Yeah. That was uh, good earnings on that. Yeah. Yeah, that was good to see for you. Well, let's take a look at Oracle Corporation. Their symbol is O R C L. Good start here. P.E. ratio 18.5 versus 65 for the industry. Price of sales 4.6 versus 12.9. Unfortunately, price to book value <clears throat> is not material versus 105 for the industry. We do see price of cash flow, though. That does look good. 13.6 versus 40. Now, they pay a 1.5% dividend. They use about 28% of their earnings to pay that out. I would kind of like to see them raise that in, uh, dividend a little bit. I think they probably could do that. We do see, however, year-over-year year, sales were down 0.5%, but the industry is up 12.3. Earnings per share, they were up 6.9. That does beat the industry growth of 5.8. Now, the balance sheet, oh, my gosh. Uh, current ratio, 2.2 versus 2.1. They have no quick ratio, which means they're not very liquid. A lot of that could be in inventory and uh, accounts receivable, other things that are not quite as strong as just cash investments. But what I don't like seeing is their debt to equity is 800 and 94% versus 79. And I don't believe they have, like sometimes with car companies, they have, you know, accounts receivable and so forth. They have loans. I don't see that happening here. So I'd be very interested. I might do that while Chase is looking. I'll look at the balance sheet, see what I can see. Uh, we do see that return on equity, 88.4 versus 26. Now this tells me probably the equity is very low. That could, that could be the issue. I'll find that out for you. Uh, net profit margin, that checks in at uh, 26 versus 19. That's a positive. Receivable turnover is 9.3, also been in the industry at 6.3. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? You know, I'm just curious as well if they've bought back a lot of stock. Mm -hmm. If they buy back the stock, reduces their equity. If they have too, too much debt, then their debt equity goes up. So it, it, it's kind of an interesting prophecy there that occurs. But but looking at the uh, numbers here for Oracle, continuing on with that, its current price is $61.13, 52-week high is $66.20. And that 52-week low, well, it's $39.71, so done well off the low. I go out to May 2022. They do report on a fiscal calendar rather than the calendar year basis. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.68. Would give us a target sell price of $77.69. So the valuations look pretty decent on it. One other thing I've heard in the news, though, haven't looked closely at it, but I have heard that the TikTok deal that Oracle and Walmart had is now on ice as mm -hmm. President Trump has left the office. And now they say, oh, we didn't make a deal on Biden's terms, so we'll, we'll see what happens if 
Biden wants to keep pushing on with that or if that deal is just going to dissipate. So I'm very curious. I don't think that was going to be a big boom for Oracle in any means. I don't think it's going to you know, drastically change their business. Right. But, uh, you know, it is something that I think gave them a little bit of a bump last year. Yeah, and, and one thing I, I did look at the equity and, and what is actually going on here, the equity is down to $7.9 uh, billion. That's half what it was just one year ago of $15.5 billion. Now, when you dig deeper here, you see what's going on, which worries me, is their debt, total debt one year ago is $51 billion. Has now climbed to seventy-one billion. What did they spend twenty billion dollars on? Did they do an acquisition? It almost sounds like. I mean, if their equity is declining that much. It sounds like they're borrowing money to buy back stock. I mean, that, that's that's my guess. That that could be. And their their cash and short-term investments has gone up from twenty-seven billion to thirty-eight billion. So it looks like they could be getting ready to do an acquisition, buy back more stock. But I do not like when companies borrow to buy back stock. Uh, and what do you said this? The price of the stock was. I was looking at. The I mean, I I am looking at their. Uh, 10 or not excuse me i'm looking at their cash flow statement and yeah last year in 2020 through q4 they repurchased about 18.3 billion dollars worth of stock and then this year so far they've done eight billion dollars worth of stock so, so that that's a lot of stock that they're buying back which could be boosting the stock price uh which is good <clears throat> but are they overdoing it and, and i and i miss what you said on the estimates what, what was the current price and the stock going forward Hurt me. I got to go all the way back to the other page. <laughs> the the yeah, estimate is 70, 77.69, and the current price is 61.30. Yeah, I, 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 I'd be very careful here, John, because, uh, mm -hmm. again, with them buying that much stock back, that much debt they're carrying, we know rates are rising. Um, I, I, I'm not excited about it. At best, I'd say it's probably a hold, but uh, I, I don't like the direction of I don't like when companies increase debt, and especially when they're using it to buy back just stock. That could be an issue for me. I mean, unless you're. Yeah. Trading at five times earnings, and it's yeah. like, wow, this is just a golden opportunity. <laughs> like, yeah. Right now, I'd say it's it's a decent opportunity. It depends also when they bought back the stock. But yeah, as Brent said, it, it's I'm not thrilled about it. But I, I also wouldn't say no. It's a terrible company. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So we'll we'll say be careful there, John. And I don't know how much it makes up in your portfolio, but I'd, I'd be watching closely because uh, I'm I'm pretty comfortable this year, but 2022, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know yet. I hope to know more in the fall, but I'm a little bit worried at this point in time what could happen in 2022. And you can see a company like this doing that. I, I, I think it's a 50% cut in their stock price next year if things go the way I'm afraid they could go. All righty? All right. Thanks, guys. Okay, John. I'm going to talk to you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, I kind of bring out 2022. <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that we could see raising taxes in 2022. Uh, I think we're riding this wave of everything being good now. But as I said before, like, okay, well, what, what do you do for an encore? If 2021 is very good, what's going to happen in 2022? I, I just don't see, and with the current administration, they're not about, you know, I, I heard we went back to what the Paris uh, climate accord, climate, climate accord uh, in talks back with Iran. I, I don't like the direction that we're going. I know that uh, President Trump was actually getting money from Saudi Arabia and these other countries for our military being there. Is that going to be gone? So we're going to have all this debt, <clears throat> which has to be paid sooner or later. <clears throat> and and then what's been the catalyst? I, I, I'm just, I get a little bit worried about 2022. Well, and the other thing I look <clears throat> at is I, I, it, there's just it, the stock market's priced for perfection. I mean, yeah. there's there's really no valuation in there that's like, well, th there might be this thing that happens. You know, it seems like everything's just going to go perfectly. And we know that's not the case. And I mean, 
I'm going to talk more on the corporate tax rate. This has been something that they've talked on quite heavily. I don't know if you recall, but when we cut corporate taxes, <laughs> it increased earnings. And then the stock market kind of adjusted to that. Yeah. Well, now on the other side of it, if you increase corporate taxes, well, now your earnings decrease. <coughs> and if you decrease the earnings, now your valuations on the companies are going to go up. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be a problem because we're already at an expensive, I'm not going to say it's super frothy at this time, but it's an expensive market. And we're not at like the tech boom where I think it was 30 times future earnings. We're, we're getting close, though. I think like 22, 25, maybe. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's not it's not inexpensive, as I said. But the problem is you raise corporate taxes. Now you take that multiple and you increase it by a little bit more because the earnings <clears> are going to have to decline as you pay more taxes. So yep. I, I think that is just something that you have to be cautious of. If we get more news on that, they really start to harp on tax increases. That's going to be problematic for the stock market. Yeah. So, all righty. Phone number is 866 577 Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Before we go back to the callers, let's go to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson from Wilsey Asset Management. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. Doing well. Calling you from Phoenix, Arizona, this morning. Is it hot or cold there? Um, it's nice. It's. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I just got in here at midnight last night, so I, I'm not really sure what it's going to be. But I think today's supposed to be like seventy-five and sunny, so oh, wow. it'd be nice. Did you have a mean boss and let you go home early yesterday or something? Is that what happened? You know what? He's kind of a stickler with hours, so I had to wait until 5 o'clock. <laughs> well, what are we talking about today, Harrison? Okay, so we are in 2021, but it's not too late to add to some retirement accounts for tax year 2020. We have until April 15th to do that, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the details there. Um, if you are under 50 years old, you can contribute $6,000. If you're over 50, you can contribute $7,000 to an IRA, and this would be a traditional or Roth. Um, now, with the IRA, the traditional and the Roth, there are modified adjusted gross income limits that you have to watch out for. So if you want to contribute to a traditional and you're single, you're adjusted gross income, once you get to a 65,000, then it starts to get phased out. Um, and then if you're married, that happens at 104,000. But the Roth, once your income goes to 125, or sorry, 124,000 if you're single, or $196,000 if you're married, that's when you can no longer contribute to that. So depending on what your income is, that might have some limitations on where you can add money. Um, thanks to the SECURE Act that was passed about a year ago, there's now no age limit for what you can contribute to. It used to be once you turn 70 and a half, you can no longer contribute to retirement accounts. But now you could be 75, 80, 90. As long as you have earned income, you can add to retirement accounts. And so a lot of people think or they wonder where the best place to save money is. And a lot of it comes down to what your tax situation looks like. So a good rule of thumb is to say, well, if you're in the first or second tax bracket, a Roth might be better because with the traditional, you get a deduction. And if you're in the first or second tax bracket, the, the, the value of the deduction isn't that much because you're only getting a 10 or 12% uh, savings when you add to that. If you're in the third tax bracket or more, then a traditional might make more sense because the value of that deduction is a little bit higher. Uh, however, you do have to watch out because, again, uh, once your income goes too high, you might not be able to get to take a deduction for those traditional contributions. Uh, but if we think about the, the threshold between the second and the third tax bracket, that happens at um, 40,000 
of taxable income for a single person or about $80,000 for a married person. So that's kind of the threshold. If you're under that, Roth might make sense. If you're over that, traditional might make sense. Um, and the thing that you really have to pay attention here is when we're thinking about adding to a Roth or traditional account, you also have to factor in the immediate tax savings of that traditional. For example, if you have, let's say $4,000 and you wanna decide which account to add it to and that's all you're gonna do, well, the Roth always makes sense because technically that 4,000 that you're starting with is after tax money. So technically, if we're looking at your tax bracket, if you're in the third tax bracket and you also live in California, a $4,000 Roth contribution is the same as a 5,822 traditional contribution. Because if you contribute 5,822 to a traditional, you're saving $1,822 in taxes. So after tax, the the impact to you is $4,000. So you really need to um, understand what that tax benefit is. A lot of people really like Roths, um, but they're discounting the value of a traditional because they, they don't look at those tax savings you get initially from it and they don't consider investing it. Right. And also too, what we also talk about <clears throat> as well is that when you have that tax savings, you can maybe invest that tax savings on top of what you did. But again, it just proves you got to do the numbers. It's not always, always Roth. Always traditional. You got to do the numbers for the situation. It is funny. People yeah. always ask, you know, hey, Chase, should I add money to the Roth or traditional? It's like, you know, I, I don't know without really looking at your situation. <laughs> it's like, well, come on. You got to have like, it's like when people ask us, hey, uh, you know, tell me five things you have to look at when you buy soccer. Well, that's not really going to give you great advice. It's the same thing. here. You got to look at the big picture, as you said. Yeah. So and, and this is yeah. why, you know, as a financial planner, this is one thing that you do for our existing clients is that you actually when they're a financial planning client, you can actually look at their situation each year and say, yes, Roth is better. Well, next year it could be that traditional is better. So that's why it's so important to have, I always call you the captain of the financial ship to help people out. Yep, and that's exactly right. And again, I was talking about this because a lot of the other stuff that you can do for 2020 is no longer available anymore since now we're in 2021. But really what we need to be looking at is not just the Roth versus traditional, but also 401k, cash savings, maybe contributing to a non-retirement investment account. When are you going to retire? Are you going to buy a home at some time? What's your income? What's your cash flow? Do you have any upcoming expenses? So you need to look at all those, and then that will help us determine going forward where the most efficient place to, to add money is and how much you need to, to add there. And you know what? I think uh, some people say, that's just too confusing. I'm just not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. We'll see how that, <laughs> right, see how that works for you. <laughs> well, Harrison, uh, thank you very much for uh, joining the show. And again, uh, uh, give out the phone number so people can call you if they have questions. And again, great time, uh, tax season to have a financial planner that can kind of go over these different things for you. Absolutely. Number 858-546-4306. All righty. Well, thank you very much and enjoy your vacation there. Thanks, guys. See you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, again, it's Harrison Johnson, our financial planner from Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, you want to give him a call to talk about your situation. Maybe you need a financial plan. Maybe you're the one that says, it's just too confusing. I can't figure anything out. Uh, that's when you really need a financial planner. Give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. All right, uh, let's see who was next here. I think it was uh, Don up in Carlsbad. Uh, Don, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd like to have you guys look at uh, Intuitive uh, Surgical, I believe it's called, I-S-R-G. This has been around for a while. I think I almost want to buy this company, but it's too expensive. So uh, do you hold it, Don, or looking to buy it? 
No, I'm. Uh, I think I think it's too expensive too. But it's dropped a little bit uh, lately, and I just wanted to have you guys analyze it. See if it's time yet. Okay. Well, let's say take a look at the Intuitive Surgical Incorporated. Their symbol is ISRG. Uh, not a good start here. PE ratio 85 versus the high PE ratio industry of 51. Uh, price to sales very expensive, 20.2 versus 8.5. Price to book value nine point five. Now that compares to the industry at one hundred and eight thousand, so much better than the industry there. But price of cash flow, nothing really exciting here. Sixty five versus thirty eight. Now they do not pay a dividend. Their sales are down two point seven percent year over year. The industry is up seven point nine, and their earnings per share fell by twenty four percent when the industry is up three and a half. Now their current ratio is six point nine versus two point six. That's a lot of liquidity and no debt on their balance sheet, that's a positive. The industry does have debt to equity of 49. Looking at return on equity, it's 11.8. Not quite as good as the industry at 14.5. Their net profit margin is very good though, 24.5 above the industry at 16.7. We do see receivable turnover is 6.8 versus 5.4. That's good. Inventory turnover 2.5, about the same as the industry at 2.8. Chase, very excited to hear about these earnings here for this company. Yeah, so looking here at the current price for uh, Intuitive Surgical Inc., $750.15. 52-week high here, $826.81. But, geez, a 52-week low, $360.50. So, I mean, it's it's pulled back a little bit there, Don, but it's also run up a lot from that, <laughs> that low as well. Uh, looking forward right. to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $15.28. I mean, this company's expensive. Is that would give us a target sell price of two hundred and fifty-three dollars and sixty-five cents? I did see they traded, I think, eighty-five times earnings. And then if I look at it on a forward basis, this company still trades at let's see about forty-nine times future earnings. It's 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 pricey there, Don. That's yeah. that's for sure. And I was thinking this yeah. probably fell back to three sixty, probably COVID March April because at the time you couldn't do any electro surgeries, which I believe is what this company kind of does. Um, but even then, it's probably too expensive and and i think this is a good company going forward uh, i think it is a growing industry but i really do believe you are paying for that growth handsomely going forward what was the p ratio again the four p 49 49 yeah that, that's just I, I just can't get comfortable with that so i i'm gonna have to yeah. say okay not a good buy here don yeah, and i will say i mean they, they are estimated to grow earnings like 20 percent but how long is that 20 percent going to last because they do have to grow into that valuation at some point and sure. if they don't maintain, let's say, 20% growth, or all of a sudden, I mean, that, that multiple goes from 49 down to, let's say, even 20. That's going to cut the stock yeah. in one and a half. It's, it's, it's uh, definitely something that, that why a reason we don't like growth investing is it, it can just fall like a rock. Yeah, and I think it's said yeah. the market cast about $90 billion. I wonder about the competitors, what they have coming out with, because yeah, very competitive field could be, and, and, and therefore maybe this 20% growth you're talking about could dissipate as somebody else comes in and starts taking away their market share. So right. that's why I like to pay, you know, 10, 12 times earnings, not 49. 49. <laughs> okay, Thank Dom. Thank you. All right. All right thanks, bye -bye. thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open up uh, another phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ashkin. Ashkin, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, having a little, you must be on a cell phone. I had a little bit of trouble hearing you there. You, you there? 
Yeah, you know, I think he put the phone down. That's yeah. what he did. I think we, we might have to change there. I think and... he was on his speakerphone last, so oh, try speaker. changing off your speakerphone off. Oh. You there? Oh, hi, how are you doing, guys? Good, there you are. Okay, there. thanks, Brendan. <laughs> Uh, and you guys were just talking about intuitive surgical. I'm in that space actually, and that there's a leader in robotics. Uh, so that's you're never going to get ten times earnings on that one. Well, but yeah. Uh, nice strategy. It's a little bit price. I just wanted to know what's a good entry. Do you guys think? N E E is the ticker. Uh, Nextra so Energy, energy correct? All right. Well, let's take a, a look at uh, Nextra Energy. Uh, yes. why is it not coming up here? There it goes. Okay, let's see here. Yeah. And uh, you hold that, you're looking to buy it. At? I'm looking to buy it. It's just a little expensive for my taste right now. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Nextra Energy Incorporated. Symbol is N E E. Yeah, it is kind of yes. expensive. PE ratio 51 versus 36. Price to sales 8.5. That's well above the industry at 2.5. Price to book value 4.7. Also higher than industry at 2.4. And Keeping uh, on the same line here, uh, price of cash flow 22.6 is above the industry at 19.7. Now, they do pay a 2% dividend, which doesn't sound like much, especially when I look at they use 91% of their earnings to pay that out. That does not make me feel comfortable. I generally don't like a company paying much more than 80% of their earnings out for that dividend. Their sales are down 6.3% year over year, industry down 1.3. Earnings per share fell by 23%, but yet the industry was up by 154%. Look at the balance sheet. The current ratio is 0.47 versus 0.75. That makes me a little bit nervous. It appears to be they could have a liquidity problem paying the bills, and that could cause some problem with the company. Their debt to equity is no comfort here either. 132 versus 137 for the industry. So I do not like to see a low current ratio and a high debt to equity. That could be a problem going forward. Return on equity is only okay. 8.2 versus 6. We do see that the net profit margin is 13.7. That's the first good thing I've seen. Double the industry at 7.3. Receivable turnover, 7.6 versus 7. That's good. Inventory turnover the last 12 months, 5 versus 3.6. That is also good. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for NextEra Energy, $78.10. 52-week high, $87.69. And that 52-week low, it's $43.00. And 70 cents. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.71. Would give us a target sell price, unfortunately, of just $44.99. And this is actually a utility. But the reason this utility is so exciting is because I believe they use less fossil fuels. And it's kind of an alternative uh, energy right. type utility that's, I think, been driven higher by this hope that we get more to green energy and so forth. So I, I'm not too excited about it. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot of future growth on it even. I mean, they are estimated to grow, but just not at huge growth rates. Right. I think it's 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 very, very expensive, especially for a utility. Yeah. and that's Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Okay, thanks for calling. You have okay. a good one. Bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, and a quick one. Uh, you guys manage. Uh, is there a minimum am uh, amount you guys need uh, for managing money, by the way? Yeah, it's uh, 100,000 is our account minimum. Oh, I'm almost there. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. All right, thanks. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, you know, Jason, I was thinking, I don't know if you watch, I'm sure a lot of people have seen Texas this past week, the cold freeze and so forth, and uh, I'm going to pick on it a little bit. AOC came out like, well, this is why we need green energy, because of this. They didn't. She didn't realize, which is, I don't think she realizes a lot, but that there were green energy turbines 
windmills in Texas that froze up. Yeah. And they couldn't produce any energy. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when it was pretty cold, I don't think the sun was shining to generate solar either. There you go. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how she got there, and um, I know that— How she got in the office? No, no. <laughs> but uh, I, I do know that people kind of point, well, yeah, but but wind makes up such a small portion of the electric grid and so forth in terms of Texas, and that's correct. But what if it makes up more? <laughs> the, the green energy wouldn't help. Yeah. You know, it'd be yeah. a bigger problem if those turbines froze. It'd be a huge yeah. devastation to the, to the state if we had that type of winter surge that you weren't prepared for. Yeah, and, and it kind of makes you think that. I, I think someday things will be, obviously, solar's going to improve, windmills will improve. They're, they're going to come up with alternative sources. But I think that is in the future, uh, like the Jetsons, so to speak, uh, many years down the road, not going to be like, okay, two years, we're going to have all green energy. I know they're pushing for that, but I don't see it. I, I still, I don't understand how these, or why, well, I guess I do a little bit, but these, we're going to do this by 2035. Well, how 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 are we gonna do it by twenty thirty? Like, do you just pull that number out of your butt? You know, like, well, how did you get twenty thirty five? You know, what what is gonna get us there by then? I, and I think sometimes people just come up with these predictions. Uh, like, did you hear that Bitcoin is going to one million dollars? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I and I think the highest I have heard now is one hundred thousand. I'm being facetious with a million. Okay, I I I believed you because I. I, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Right, right. And, and maybe I'll be famous now because I said it's going to $1 million. <laughs> you know, but, but sometimes these projections like, you know, 2035. You're right. Well, how do we know? Because we're going to have between now and then some type of recession. And it's probably not going to be a small one. I think it's going to be a large one. Well, that's going to slow things down. It changes the path you're going on. Something else could happen. All of a sudden, we could have uh, gas cars go to 100 miles a gallon. Uh, like, wow, maybe we don't need this. So technology, R&D, research and development can change the direction. And you're right. When you say 2035, I think it's more of a pipe dream because you just pull it out of your butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that term, but I had to use it again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to get there. So that's just what popped in my head. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't put much credence on it. Uh, it's, again, the projections that are very far out. The farther out the projections go, the more likelihood – you're going to have a uh, not make that projection. So, but um, all right. Well, I, I know we're at the end of the uh, first hour here. I do want to say that we have uh, Gerald in Oceanside, Joanne in San uh, Alejo Hills uh, wants to talk about uh, different companies. Uh, we do have some Facebook. We haven't done Facebook at all. So, we're going to go to the Facebook, co- uh, not callers, uh, comments. Comments. There we go. Comments. Uh, phone number here 866 577 2473. That's 866. 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. I must say, I, I do see Jeff commented on Facebook, and we talked to him a couple weeks ago, and he was asking is how to comment on it, and he got it figured out, so we have to get to Jeff and his question here. You know, we're going to bump Jeff to the first of the line <laughs> so we don't miss Jeff since he, he got that right. So, but, uh, yeah, BGS, I don't recognize that symbol. Do you recognize what it is? Uh, it's B&G Foods. Uh, it was in his comment, so that's how I knew it. <laughs> okay, I, I, I thought you knew the symbol, yeah. Well, and, and again, the food companies uh, may be a great time, although we have a food company that's gone up dramatically in the last uh, couple few weeks. weeks. Yep. Yep. So, and we like those boring food companies because they do, you know, kind of carry on. All right, so uh, stay tuned. We'll, we'll be right back uh, after this quick break.
All righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. And yes, we do have phone lines open. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And I always like to talk about uh, my good friend Clay with Clayco Electric uh, about the solar, how we did the solar for my house. And gosh, I got the, the, the best deal ever. Uh, unfortunately, I sold the house, but I know the new neighbors or the new owners of the house are getting a great, you know, reduction in their solar bill. But I did shop around a little bit before I used Clay and found out uh, that, yeah, his prices were very inexpensive. So uh, you want to give Clay a call, uh, give him a call. It's 619-971-2799. Again, that's 619-971-2799. Tell him that Brent Wilsey sent you and he'll do a great job for you. And also a very, very good price. Compare him to everybody else. So, yep. All righty. All right. So do we want to go back to, do we want to go to Facebook? Because we did promise Jeff first. So Joanne and Fletcher Hills, uh, stay with us. We are going to go to, well, we can't really go to Facebook. We actually just talk about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Jeff wanted to know about BGS. So I got to put this in here. So I'm a little bit behind. That 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 break goes by so quick. Was it even 30 seconds, it seemed like? I know. I My dogs are getting uh, vaccination shots. My girlfriend went to go take care of it. And I noticed I got a call from them. And I'm like, oh, I got to make sure everything's all right. And then it's like, wow, that break just went by so quick. But, you know. Got everything figured out. Dogs got their shots. So we're good to go. <laughs> yes, we're good to go. Okay. I was wondering, I kind of saw you with your phone kind of put up to your earpiece. They're like, well, how can you hear? That? I was worried they weren't allowing her to check them in and need my confirmation. I was like, ah, no, we need to get this done. Yeah. Can't have my dogs get rabies. That'd be terrible. <laughs> no, that, that would be terrible. So, all right. So let's look at uh, BG, uh, no, BNG Food Incorporated. Symbol is BGS. Not a bad start here. PE ratio is 15.3 versus 25. Price of sales, 1 versus 1.5. Now, unfortunately, this is not unusual for food companies. No price of tangible book value, same as the industry, and that's because they have done a lot of acquisitions over the last few years, and you add that goodwill in, it can wipe out your tangible, uh, your intangible assets will wipe out your, your um, uh, equity there. Uh, we do see that uh, you have a, a current uh, uh, price of cash flow is 10.4 versus 17. That is positive. Oh, I like this dividend, 6.1%, but... They use 99% of their earnings to pay that out, so and that's over the last 12 months. So hopefully they're going to have an increase going forward because that 6% dividend would not be sustainable at 99% of the earnings. We do see sales were up 17%, about 10 times the industry at 1.7. Earnings per share, they fell by 23.6% when the earnings were up 8 Now, I, got, I would want to know, buying this company, why did earnings fall 23%? You had growing sales. They take some write-offs. Was a you know big gain the previous year. Why were earnings down 23%? We do say on the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 2.6 versus 1.3. I like that. What I do not like at all is debt to equity is 214 versus 73. You really want to check the balance sheet and see what that looks like. Return on equity 15.5 versus 11. That's a positive net profit margin. Well, that's 6.8 versus 5.9. That is good. Receivable turnover, 11.6 versus 12.4. Inventory turnover, question this number, 2.9 versus 6.3. Why is their inventory turnover so low? Got to be careful with food companies because if you can't get that inventory out of the warehouse, it could spoil and become worthless. Chase, what do you got for the earnings there? You know, I, I was curious what the, the company did. Obviously, you know it's a, a food company given the name of the business, but I, I wasn't sure exactly the, the products they produce. So I kind of looked into that. Um, they do have different frozen canned vegetables, oatmeal, hot cereals, fruit spread. So they do manufacture the food, do they have hot brand, sauces. Do they have brand names? or? 
so I was looking, and that that's one thing that I was going to say that concerns me a little bit. I'm looking through some of these names. I, I don't really recognize a lot of them. It's like McCann's, Baker's Joy, Bear Creek, Grandma's Molasses. That sounds interesting. Oh, <laughs> Green Giant. I know Green Giant. Green Giant. Uh, that's one. And then uh, the other one I noticed was Mrs. Dash. I remember you used to use Mrs. Dash, or you liked Mrs. Dash. You know, I don't have that anymore. I need to get more Mrs. Dash. I like Mrs. Dash. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I would be curious if I was looking at buying this company, you know, what is the, the product distribution essentially? What do they make off of each of those business lines? What's the really their kind of money maker there? Because a lot of these I'm, I'm looking through, I, I I don't do a whole lot of grocery shopping, but I don't recognize. Who does your grocery shopping? Well, I do, but I don't spend a whole lot of time. I, I know what I want. I know what I need. I go there. I get that taken ah. care of. I don't go down the aisles very often, so I, I don't recognize a lot of these saying names. Something, but I'm not going to say it. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let, let's let's not talk about grocery shopping. Let's yes. talk about the numbers. The numbers. Here. Let's go back to that. Well, you started, so I just want to get <laughs> current price for B and G Foods. Well, it's thirty one dollars and four cents. Wow, this stock has been extremely volatile. I'm shocked by this. 52-week high, $47.84, and the 52-week low, $10.39. So I, That's a big, very curious what company. has happened over yeah. the last 52 weeks to create that type of volatility. Now, looking at the current, pri- or not the current price, going out to December 2021, I'm looking at the estimated earnings per share here, $2.39. Would give us a target sell price of $39.67. So that's optimistic. It looks like they haven't reported earnings just yet, so we should be shifting out to 2022 here shortly. And that's also estimated to see an earnings increase to $2.58. So I, I, I like that the earnings are increasing here. The valuations look good. Um, it is kind of a smaller company market cap, about $1.9 billion, but good dividend. Debt is somewhat concerning. Uh, and also just understanding more about the brands that they own and, and how they kind of function within the company. Yeah, and I would say, Jeff, I, I wouldn't, with that much debt uh, in a food company, uh, and plus the off-brands. Now, they could be doing, like, behind-the-scene generic. Uh, also, too, I'd be kind of curious how much they do to restaurants because we now found out that restaurants, food companies make more off a restaurant profit than they do off of a going-to-Costco profit type thing. So I, I want to know that, but I, I just don't feel comfortable with that debt. Uh, other way around, yeah. Our, our food company makes more selling directly to grocery stores, and they make less off of the uh, food distribution to restaurants. But there's such a high volume there. So, yeah. um, you know, we want to understand kind of if that comes back, is that going to hurt B&G Foods, or is it going to help? Yeah, it depends. You know, and I think I've seen, I, I almost want to say that they're in Poway. I thought I did see B&G, a warehouse is yeah. what I thought, but maybe not the thing. Just the This warehouse. one's located in New York. It's where they're headquartered. Oh, New York City. Not a good place uh, no, to be. not New York City. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's in uh, Parsippany, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I don't feel comfortable with it. I'd have to say, Jeff. Uh, and there is a food company out there that we're buying. We're not going to share what it is, but actually, uh, it pulls back enough to where it hits our target buy price, and I think that one's much better. Yep. So, and if you want to know what that is, become a client. <laughs> Speaking of that, you know what, uh, Chase uh, uh, and Joanne, I'm going to bring you up next, but I, I want to talk oh, yeah, about. Yeah, I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got about and and we 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 have a webinar because we still can't do the live workshops. But if you want to see more detail about what we do and how we do it, you can go to our web uh, to our website to register, and you'll see the webinar, which is the workshop that is recorded for us, is what we did to try to help out people. Yeah, and our, our website there, you go to smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And, you know, what we cover on the radio show is really just kind of a, a quick snippet of what we look at. You know, that's not like, oh, we looked at B&G Foods. 
uh, let's say the numbers look great. Oh, we're going to buy it on Monday. You know, yeah. There's a lot more that we kind of go through, and, and that's really where I think the webinar adds values. We, we do go a little bit more detail into how we actually manage money for our clients, why we manage money that way too. That, that's a, such an important reason. I think a lot of times people don't understand the why of their doing things a certain way, and that's why we, we explain our process and how we do things is because if you don't have a why, you don't have a discipline, you're not going to do well longer yep. term. You're going to start to kind of succumb to your emotions. That's why we do things the way we do at Wilsey Asset Management. That's why the webinar will help you out as yep. well. And again, you can sign up for that at Wilsey. Nope. Smartinvesting2000.com. <laughs> Smartinvesting2000.com. And you can't see her on the radio, but on Facebook they can. We do have a new marketing director here, Janae. Uh, she's here to kind of look at how we do things. Uh, and I kind of turned to her. She can't, she can't, her microphone's not on, so she can't say anything. But uh, it was just like, we want to make sure we did that right for people to sign up for the webinar. So she is nodding her head. Facebook saw that. People aren't ready to not see that. But <laughs> I, I, I got that right. Good. Okay. All right. And I do just want sure. one more little thing. You go to, go to our website again, uh, smartinvesting2000.com. It's at the top of the website. You can't miss it. You have our phone number, client center, and then to the left of the client center, it says webinar registration. And, and a nice little button for you to click on there. Right. Webinar registration, click on that. You'll get signed up. You'll get the video and see how we, again, manage money. And if you have any issues, call the office 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Again, you said it's at the top of the uh, website as well. And ask for, we do have you on the phone line now, right? Yeah. Okay. So ask for Janae or actually hit the button for Janae. She can kind of walk you through it there. So, all right. Phone numbers here, 866 577 2473. That's 866-577-2473. As promised, let's go out to Fletcher Hills and speak with Joanne. Joanne, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, Brett. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks uh, for being there. Okay. We're in the middle of a, our, our women's stock group, unfortunately. So, um, just started at 9 o'clock, and we were to report on different things. We have done very well and been very conservative. However, we decided to put just a small percentage of the portfolio into something innovative. We call it our innovative fund. Okay. It is so hard to find things because they have, you know, you pull up a value line and there's no meaningful value, so there's no PE. Um, I'd love to ask you about several. But right now, the only one that we've looked at that's actually off its high is Fastly, F-S-L-Y. Okay. All right. What do you think about it? Just as a long-term what if. We've been kind of following the Kathy Wood ETF, the ARC funds. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll go with the numbers, kind of give you our opinion on it. Now, is your whole sure. investment club listening to the show right now? I wish I, I don't, we're on Zoom right now. I'd love to patch you in, but I don't know how to do it. Oh, okay. Well, you have to kind of work on that. And, uh, <laughs> next patch time, we'll, we'll yeah. patch us in next time. So, um, all right. Well, they can listen so if you had a radio or actually many different ways, just a smartphone. You can listen on radio.com, uh, Google, I mean, all different things. But, Let's take care of Fastly Incorporated for you. Their symbol is F-S-L-Y. Unfortunately here, Joanne, probably no surprise, no P-E ratio. Price to sales is very expensive, though. 31 versus 12.9. Price to book value, 30. That sounds high, but the industry is at 104 and no price to cash flow. Now, we do see their sales have risen by 45% year over year. That is a positive and kind of what you're looking for a growth company. Versus the industry at 12.3, but the earnings per share fell by 61%. The industry was up 5.8. Now, very important, too, when you're looking for a speculative company, you want a clean balance sheet to know that they'll be here today and be here tomorrow. 
They have a current ratio of 2.8 versus 2.1. That is good, but no quick ratio, which means they don't have a lot of liquidity. Uh, liquidity. Uh, a lot of that uh, current ratio could be in inventory, accounts receivable, which are not always good assets, uh, liquid assets. Debt to equity does look good, though. 2.6 versus 79. So that means the company can be around for a while. They can borrow money to keep going on. Return on equity, negative 15 versus a, a positive 26. Uh, net profit margin is a negative 33 versus 19.5. Receivable return is 6.7 versus 6.3. Uh, Chase, what do you got for earnings over there? And probably more information on it. Yeah, I was just well. curious what Fastly did. They do operate an edge cloud platform for processing, service, serving, and securing its customers' applications. Um, not quite sure what an edge cloud platform is, but uh, I know the, the cloud is a, a hot topic, so uh, I'm sure they're seeing some nice growth there. Uh, I did also look at the uh, current price at $80.68. The 52-week range here, $10.63 is the low. The high, wow, $136.50. And its current market cap is about $9.2 billion. So decent-sized business here. Uh, I go out to 2022. Unfortunately, still no estimated earnings as the average estimate is a loss of 24 cents. So, again, this is, again, what you kind of said, looking for some innovation, yeah. and it, it could be this this big hit. It seems like it's risen substantially but pulled back from the high. Um, I know it's not something that we would get involved with, it, but uh, it's, it's a potential growth company for you. And I, I know you mentioned Kathy Wood. I'm I'm going to say I'm, I'm not a big fan of hers. I, I do think she's kind of risen due to Tesla. Her whole ARC ETFs, they have so much exposure to Tesla. We just read this article last week about this gentleman that's kind of come back into fame as a, a fund manager. He had a great mutual fund back during the tech boom. He had the absolute worst performing mutual fund out of 5,000 funds, I think. Yeah, he was the absolute bottom. During the tech bust, I think the ARC funds, if Tesla falls apart like we anticipated to. Brett, I'm going to run back to my meeting. I'm sorry. No worries. I can take this. Okay. All right. I hope that helps, Joanne. Okay. Bye-bye. But, yeah, I I just – I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that kind of have – I'm not going to say got lucky, but I see so much resemblance to the, the tech boom where these yeah. these fund managers that they've done phenomenally. And I'm not going to take that away from them. But if you look closely at the details of how they've done so well, it, they got, you know, kind of lucky off of one company. Right. I mean, it's it's it could be problematic going forward. And again, you mentioned that fund, the fund manager. I forget his name. But again, he was very hot, like in 2000, like, oh, how great he was. And then all of a sudden the bottom fell out and he was the absolute worst performing fund out of the 5000 funds back then. Well, it took him 21 years to become famous again and do well. I, I'm sorry. I don't think mo- – I, I bet you not one of those shareholders were in that fund back then. He probably <laughs> lost him over that whole time frame. Uh, it's not a big fund. I mean, gosh, I think it's like $150 million. Um, But it, now he's famous again. The thing – that's what happens with growth investing is that you're famous for a while because, oh, wow, I own Tesla and I own this and how great I am and so forth. But when the bottom falls out, it falls and you fall deeply – never to return. And what I don't like, I mean, uh, Joanne said about um, they're pu- pulling part of their fund for, I guess, the innovation side or something. If it works, it's great. But if it doesn't work and say you took 10% of your money and did that, well, now you've lost the compounding on that 10% of your fund over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And, and that's why we don't do anything that is, is speculative like that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, while you were talking, it, it made me think of uh, Bill Ackman as well. Oh, there we go. And I know he had a big record year. Manager. Yeah, right. big hedge fund manager. I know he had a record year last year of, I think, 70% is what he did. 
But there were several years where he was not doing well at all, like just drastically trailing the market and just doing terribly. And you're right. You get like one, wow, Bill Ackman, he's back. Right. Well, what if next year, the following year, again, he falls in the same problems. They, these growth managers, they get these big hits and they, they get the fame every few years. That's kind of funny, the value. I mean, you look at like a Warren Buffett. Yes, he's right. famous. But a lot of times value managers don't get as much love because it's it's not as sexy. It's not as yeah. exciting. We don't do 70% in a year. But I, I think I can say this. Uh, we did better than Bill Ackman for many years. Yeah. While he was struggling, yeah, gotta be careful with the SEC rules. Yeah. But that I'm, I'm pretty sure we can say. And actually, I, I believe the number was for the last three years. I think he was down like forty percent. It was it was not good. It was not good at all. And so you're down forty percent. You've been with him for four years. You're down forty percent. Wow, this year I'm up seventy percent. I don't think that's break even yet. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. Um, but the other thing is, I, I was thinking as well. You know who I haven't heard of in a while? David Einhorn. Oh yeah. And uh, this is he's a value hedge fund manager. Right. But this is the exact reason. We will never short anything. Right. He had a short basket of Tesla. He had a short oh. basket in Amazon. I think he had like a Netflix in there. Oh, my gosh. I bet you his fund has just done terribly. And, you know, why we agreed with his premise on shorting those stocks, that's the exact reason we never short those stocks <laughs> because you could lose a lot of money. And I feel like he's probably done terribly. Yeah. And one of the big reasons why we stay away from shorting is you never know how crazy things can, can get. And they say you will run out of money many times before the craziness ends. And maybe that's where he is. And hopefully he took some of those shorts off. Because, again, he does what we do. He does the fundamentals, looking at the business. What is the business worth? I'm sorry, Tesla's not worth, and I, I think I, I saw it below 800. But it's not worth 1,400 times earnings or? or no, it's at 1,800 18, well, whatever. Uh, sooner or later, either those earnings have to come up or that stock price will come down to the mean, the average over the past 100 years around 17 times. I mean, 14 to 17 times. So it will happen. And, uh, and, and again, I hope people get out before that happens. And some will, but that will cause the price of the stock to fall. <laughs> yeah, and then some won't. <laughs> and then it won't. Yeah, so I'm ready. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three, and I'll tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody, but right now, all phone lines are open. Let's go back to Facebook. Should we go to Vincent? Uh, yeah, I was. I, I know uh, we had a, two people kind of ask about Cummins, so I, I was thinking about oh. doing that one. Since uh, I'm guessing that's what Frederick was asking, because we did have Jason. He said, you know, Cummins has been great for me. Uh, I know Chase liked Cummins years ago. It was actually one of the first stocks I bought, so I do have an affinity to Cummins because yes. it, I did very well off of it. I liked the business. Uh, they're an engine company, which is fascinating, uh, and said I was ra absolutely right on because it's done well. So uh, and he says, do you know if they're transitioning as well to EV engines in their future plans? Since I don't hold the stock anymore, I, I'm not sure on their plans. I would have to imagine that they have some other types of drivetrain, powertrains, because that is kind of the shift, and there's going to be more demand there. I, I think they would be ahead of that. And didn't they do like a big diesel engine? Oh, they had some trains? cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they had this hedgehog engine, I remember. It yes. was like 12 feet tall and like 10 feet wide. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, they have engines that, that power the barges, the boats. You know, the, those have to be huge, the damn, locomotives. Put that, put that engine in my Lamborghini. Then I'll really <laughs> I, I think it might be too heavy. <laughs> too heavy. <laughs> yeah. It might slow you down a little bit. Well, let's look at the numbers on Cummins because I am curious. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised I didn't buy this company years ago because I love cars and engines and so forth, and I just missed it. But let's see what we look at for Cummins. Their symbol is CMI. We do see a PE ratio of 20.6. 
versus 46, so that's a good start. Price to sales, 1.8 versus 2.7. That is good. Price to tangible book value, 6.3. Compare that to the industry average at zero. And then price of cash flow, 14.7 versus 17.9. So valuation still looking very good for Cummins. We do see a, a, a dividend yield here of 2.2%. Like seeing that. They use 44%. They're needs to pay that out. Unfortunately, sales year over year are down 16%. Industry is down 49 Earnings per share for Cummins fell by 16.8, but the industry was down 28.7. The balance sheet looks very strong. Current ratio 1.9 versus 2. Debt to equity 51. That's about the same as the industry at 56. Uh, management effectiveness we see. Return to equity 22. I'm going to call it 23, very close to 23 versus 9.5. Net profit margin also good 9.1 versus 5.6. I'm sorry, 5.9. And then receivable turnover, 5.3 versus 5.6. And inventory turnover, 4.3 versus 3.6. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure almost all those single numbers were better than the industry average. Yeah, I know. It's, it's one reason I liked it. I remember yeah. when I, first, I bought it when I first started learning how to invest. Yep. And you took me through this, and I remember I'm like, I made check marks on the right of every single number, and I'm like, yeah, this is good, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, it looks good. <laughs> you know? good. But we did I, not have cash at the time, I think, or something. Yeah, we didn't like have that. cash available, yeah. but I was just starting out my portfolio, so I had cash. So I <laughs> bought it. <laughs> so you bought it and you beat me. <laughs> but I but I will say that there's always been one kind of caveat to Cummins that I've been concerned about, and that's its relationship with PACAR. Uh, PACAR actually makes up about 15% of its total revenue. Mm. And we did hold PACAR in the portfolio as well. And I do know that they also produce some of their own engines. Yep. So I've always kind of wondered, well, are they trying to get out of a relationship with Cummins? And they might say right now it's great, but you know, five years down the road, it's like, are we trying to build our own engines? And that might leave Cummins with a, a loss of 15% revenue. That could be problematic, but they've been partners in, in business for many years. But one thing you know is things do change. If they do leave, they find somebody else or they do it internally, it could be a problem. You said it was 15% of Packard's business? 15% of Cummins' business. Cummins' business. Okay, okay. Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering. Because that would be a big loss. Uh, Packard says, okay, we're going to do our own. Yep. To hit a 15% hit would be difficult. Yeah. So, but looking at the numbers, again, that, that's one of the strengths on Cummins. And I also did like that dividend they pay. But looking at the current price here, $246.76, <sighs> 52-week high, $254.13, and 52-week low is $101.03. I think I looked at this company, gosh, when it was around like seventy dollars a yeah. share or something. It, it, it's done. Yeah, very, very that's why well. I got to get back off 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 the floor because when I saw the two forty six, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I almost said a bad word. Got to be careful. <laughs> but, but let's see what the company can do going forward. I'm going to look at December two thousand twenty two estimated earnings per share sixteen dollars and forty one cents using our sixteen point six multiple. That would give us a target sell price of two hundred seventy two dollars and forty one cents. So not the same estimated growth that that it used to have. Obviously, the stock's done right. very well, so it's kind of taken away some of that allure. But still, there's still some room left to run, I think, in, in uh, almost said PACCAR. Some room left to run in, <laughs> in Cummins here. Yeah, and I just love this company. Uh, and again, you're right. you got to kind of read the quarterly reports, read the annual report to see what they're doing. Because again, eventually, Electric will be uh, taking some of their market share. So what are they doing about it? And, and, and that's one thing that I was going to say, too, is with this one, you have such a big reliance on one company. You almost got to double up here and read what's going on with PACCAR. Because if they have huge issues, yeah. that's going to lead then to Cummins to have big issues. Um, it's one thing that, that I'm very cognizant of now when we buy businesses. Is I, I get a little bit nervous when companies have more than, let's say, 10% of its revenue 
coming from one company. Yeah. And, and and could they have another company that is doing the same thing where they got 10, 15%? So if you have two companies account for 30% of your business, that could be a, a danger. But I, I wish, and I think we never would have sold Cummins. I think it's always been ahead of the target sell price, which is what you want. You want a business that uh, stock price goes up, earnings go up, stock price go up, earnings go up. And I think Cummins fit that bill. Uh, un- unfortunately, we did not have the cash to put in the portfolio at that time, but I think we'd still have held it like some other companies that we've held now for 5, 10, 15 years. So, alrighty. Um, yeah, gosh. Well, can't buy it. It's not a buy now, though. Yeah. So if you don't have it, you can't buy it. We won't buy it either. Yep. Alrighty. But, you know, Maybe on a pullback. I was going to read my mind. I was going to say that because, again, we are expecting a pullback. So, we, you know, we should probably put that on our watch list. Yeah. And, and again, I'm kind of giving a secret away here at the office. We have these conversations. But I, I think I'd like to have that on our watch list because I would like to buy this company if – what we said checked into it. So, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of off topic here, but on topic. So, you know, Packard was a business we loved as well. I mean, Packard, yeah. Kenworth, Peterbilt trucks. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of news about, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of discontinuing pipelines and so forth. Well, that's yeah. going to increase transportation costs. Uh, we know e-commerce is also a, a big part of society today as well. That should benefit trucking as we move forward here. And I did see imports were up substantially as well which those need to then be moved from the ports to other places. So I, I do like the trucking industry for the next couple of years. I think it is going to be a, a large part of our society. Um, so it, it's definitely, I think, an area to watch. Right. And, and the other thing, too, I, I was thinking about, which I think they're too expensive, but trains. Yep. Because that pipeline shut down. Now they got to put them back on trains again. And I believe one thing they liked about the pipeline was I, I think there was like a year or two ago that there was a major accident where a train with oil was going across the train tracks and a car ran in and, and it was a terrible accident. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's one thing, too. The pipelines were much safer, but this is what we're going back to, apparently, is trucks and trains to transport oil. You know, so maybe somebody will look at I, – I, I used to love Union Pacific, made so much money off of that, but I don't know. Maybe we'll – No, it's been expensive for years now. Yeah, well, I, yeah. So, all right, uh, phone number is 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Gyrus. 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 Hello. Gyrus. Gosh. <laughs> I, I keep getting that G mixed up with a J. I'm sorry. <laughs> we know you very well, but I'm, I'm I keep missing. It's funny. Me. He Gyrus. looked over at me like, oh gosh, and I was like, who's calling? And I was like, oh, Gyrus. No. <laughs> and Chase doesn't see me. It's me, guys. Hey, good to hear from you. How you doing? Hey, I miss you guys. Miss you guys. Hey, uh, I was real quick. I was I was looking up that fund uh, that you mentioned, uh, uh, Brett uh, AOC, and I, I really couldn't find it. Is, is is where does it where does it trade? Oh, the Ark Fund? No, no, AO, AOC, AOC. <laughs> no, AOC. Oh. Uh, Ocasio Cortez. Yes. Is uh, oh that that AOC. <laughs> <Yeah. right. laughs> no fun there. Uh, we, yeah. yeah, you don't want to invest in that one. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, some people in New York are, are probably regretting that investment, uh, but we'll, we won't go there. We won't go there. No, we'll, we'll answer your question. We already did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I, uh, Brett, I think I need a mute button myself over here. <laughs> All right, let's get serious now. Uh, bottom shares in the TAP Molson, uh, middle of last year. Okay. Uh, it's been bouncing around. I'm not sure what you guys think. Uh, time to move on or write it out a bit. 
Okay. Uh, middle of last year, that'd be what, June or July? You probably paid what What for it? Oh, I have to look that up. Uh, sorry, don't have okay. it right I now. You. You're uh, probably up on it, is my guess, because middle of last year, we're still very yeah. concerned about yeah, the I'm up pandemic. On it. Yep. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Molson Coors Beverage Company, symbol is TAP, TAP, which kind of makes sense. Uh, look at the P.E. ratio. No P.E. ratio versus 53 for the industry. Price of sales looks very good. One versus 3.3. No price to book value. Same as the industry. And no price of cash flow, which kind of surprised me here, versus 13.9. And these numbers are for December 31st. They do not pay a dividend. Their sales are down 8.8% uh, when the initial down 0.5%. Earnings per share fell by, wow, 493%. When the industry is up 7.2, look at the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio 0.6 versus 1.0. We do see debt to equity 66 versus uh, same as the industry at 66. Uh, return on equity a negative 7.4. Net profit margin checks in at a negative 9.8 versus a positive 6.3. And then receivable turnover is 15.2 versus 11.6. That's a positive. An inventory turnover 9.2 versus 4.7. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, so a uh, current price here for Molson Coors, $44.40, 52-week high, $56.10, and 52-week low, $32.11. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.14. Would give us a nice target sell price of $68.72. So I, I like the valuations here on Molson Coors. I know that they've had some problems over in Europe where, you know, they had – the lockdowns in the UK. Like 95% of the pubs still closed or some crazy number. It's a huge amount there. And and the thing is, here in the United States and North America, Molson Coors has great kind of sell-through in grocery stores where they're a lot more reliant in the UK and Europe for those bars and pubs. So that's really hurting their business there. I, I, I do believe that about 90%, and, and this is an estimation here, Josh, I don't have the numbers on the top of my head, but about 90% of their sales decline was due to the lockdowns and the closures of those pubs in Europe. And Europe doesn't even account for a huge portion of their business. It still comes mostly from North America, but that, that's been essentially not zero, but right. not very strong there. So it really, really costs their business. But the point is, once those reopen, wow, you could see some great market share gains. You could see some great appreciation there. And you could see some strong sales and earnings growth from Europe to, to add to the bottom line, top line for most, of course. Yeah, and th this is one company I think will still benefit from the reopening, exactly what you talk about with Europe because uh, of their sales over there. But, uh, I mean, I like the company very well known. People don't know that, uh, you know, Coors Light is very big. They came out with a, a seltzer, Vizzy. You thought I was going to say Zizzy. I said Vizzy, <laughs> which, again, is just phenomenal. Uh, it has antioxidants in it and vitamin C. And I'm, I'm not a big drinker, but I had six of these on Super Bowl Sunday. And I felt fine the next day. So I don't know if it's true to that or what, but um, I, I think it's a great company, great product. Uh, I think I'd be a little patient with it. Uh, what did you say this target right. sell price was? 66? 6872. 68, 68. And, and I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. I love the Vizzies too. And I did see they're coming out with a new flavor pack here shortly. So we got to try those. Excited for that. And they also have a partnership with Topo Chico, which is like a seltzer water. Yep. And they're actually going to, to be creating a product together there and distributing. Topo Chico seltzers this year. So, I mean, they're they're very heavily involved in this this new seltzer space. They have a lot of other things as well, energy drinks. They're trying to become more of a beverage company, beverage company. not just an alcohol company. Uh, I, I think you might be able to tell here, Josh, we like it. I'd say hold through. And yeah. the other thing, too, is when we okay. get back to sporting events, 
what are you drinking sporting events when you tailgate? You're not getting the fancy beer most of the time. You're getting, you know, the, <laughs> Coors, the Coors Light, Light the Miller Light. <laughs> I think when we see things reopen for concerts and sport, sporting events again, right. you'll see a, okay. this be actually a, a big benefactor of the reopening. And it's, it's priced very fairly at this time. And the marketing is great. Okay. And actually, The Rock is actually a, a spokesperson for their energy drink. Yep. So name, name recognition there. So, yeah, I think it's a well-run yeah. company. Just, just be a little more patient with it. Okay. Right, that, that's what I was thinking. A little patient. Uh, I did read on the Europe thing. Uh, it's probably a little cool right now for their pubs. A lot of their pubs are outdoors. So, oh, um, I know that. Sounds like uh, might might just be a little patient thing, like you're saying. So that that was that was my strategy. Just wanted to double check with the two gurus here in San Diego. Thanks so much, guys. You're welcome. I was going to say, you know, relax, go have a Coors Light, but it's a little bit too early. So maybe for lunch. Maybe a Vizzy. You know, it's, it's got fruit in it. It's kind of. <laughs> Can be a morning okay. beverage, <laughs> and you do drink right. those. You, you do drink those, right, Jairus? The the Coors Light, the the Vizzies and stuff. Well, well, well. I did hear you guys mention that a while back, so uh, gonna have to look into it. Uh, finishing up the coffee right now, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, if you own the company, you gotta test the product. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely take that approach. Uh, and thanks again for for all all you do. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Jairus. Have a great one. Bye bye. Alrighty, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And before we go to Steve, I just make a quick comment that it's so important, like with because if you just went over the numbers for Molson Coors, it would not be a buy. The reason why we liked it was because understanding what the business is doing and understanding the current situation economically that we just came out of the pandemic. Of course, you know, people have, have stopped going to bars and restaurants and uh, all this. So you got to understand the business uh, as well as just the numbers. I know. And, and that's such a great point because, uh, you know, we bought a retailer last year that in the middle of the pandemic, they had no earnings. They had no cash flow. Mm-hmm. They had all these write downs on, on goodwill and so forth. And if you just looked at that, it's like, what are you doing? This was just we a. We got that from some clients. What are you guys yeah, doing? <laughs> Don't you know the economy is closed? Yes, we do know that. <laughs> but we looked at kind of saying they have a strong balance sheet. They can get through this. And it was such a unique time period that we knew they could get through it. And then they'd have that earnings power come back. They've had earnings power in the past. It was just a government shutdown limited their ability to sell products. So it is very important, as you said, to understand the situation and, you know, why we rely very heavily on the numbers, obviously. Sometimes you need to override those numbers and the valuations if you understand the story. Yep, yep. So, Except the target sell price. We hardly override the target sell price. Yeah, yeah, there's got to be a, a good target sell price there. So phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Steve. Steve, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. Uh, Longtime fan. I work here in the semiconductor industry uh, locally, and I'm kind of torn right now uh, given the supply-side struggles that are going to be coming up this quarter between moving um, moving from the IV Science and Tech Fund, which is WS. I have a C-class ETX. Um, I don't want to necessarily put it into like the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, even though it's been performing like crazy. But um, given the supply side, I I'm wondering if I should just tear it all out of of uh, tech stocks right now and look elsewhere. 
uh, <clears throat> I mean, tech is very expensive, obviously. Uh, and were these mutual funds or ETFs? I, I missed that. Right now, I'm in the mutual fund, um, you know, paying under a 2% expense ratio. But, I, you know, I wanted to get more into an ETF index fund. But I just feel like right now the uh, the SOX is, is way high, higher than I've, I've ever imagined it would be. And it can't stay up there. So I don't really want to get in now. Yes, and here's one problem when you have the mutual fund. Actually, it could be a good thing is that you, you can't just pull out from the mutual fund because perhaps the manager is already doing that. Perhaps he's lightening his load on what he holds. Perhaps he holds you know more valued tech companies, and you won't see that. Because if you go to like Yahoo Finance or something else, you can actually see the, like their top 10 holdings many times, sometimes the top 20 holdings to see what he actually holds. But that could be from two, three, six months ago. So you've got to kind of look at how right. the manager has done for that fund. How long has he been there? How did he do during a downtime? Because you're kind of depending on him as a manager. Like when people invest their money with us, they're depending on us to kind of weather the storm. What are we going to do through that? So with a mutual fund, you want to look at that manager. What is he doing? And you won't know exactly because of the fact that he doesn't want to display that so everybody knows what he's buying and selling. But how long has he been there? And again, what did he do maybe during a... Well, if he's been there for long enough, maybe during 2008, what did he do during that time frame? Because I'd hate to. Oh, he's been there since the 90s. It's uh, Zach Shafran. Um, I always confuse him with the actor, Zach Efron. He's done a, a good job, you know, and in the down years, like when you were talking about Bill Ackman, he never was as down as Bill was. Um, I'm a bit of a Ackman criticist uh, after the whole <laughs> Herbalife drama. I think he's uh, he enjoys the cameras as much as anyone. But um, it, And it's also quite the co coincidence his down as bad years were uh, shortly after his divorce, which never hurts having to uh, pay out uh, that way it goes. But yeah. we'll leave that for another show another day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, another show for sure. <laughs> always, I think, uh, yeah, I think right now, um, given that I don't know what the, the holdings are changing in the, the IV fund, I'll probably keep an eye. Um, I'm noticing mainly, you know, a lot of the the semi stocks that that they follow the memory stocks. And right now, memory is getting short. Memory is in high demand, but it's getting very expensive. Micron is kind of the benchmark for that. And, and my thinking is, the fund manager has been there since the '90s. Um, I would say stay with it. It's kind of like when, when we have people come to us, well, I'll give you a year, see how you do. Don't give me a year. I, we want five to 10 years because of the fact we want to go through a whole economic cycle. This guy's been there for over 20 years. You may see the fund pull back somewhat, but apparently he's done a good job and you're doing a little bit different management than what we're doing because actually you're buying a fund of you know technology, probably other funds that are different. But I, I would stay with him. What do you think, Chase? I completely disagree. I oh, would get so, out of it. Show's over. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, gotta go. <laughs> so right, I did, I this did. is what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I did look up the fun. You haven't done that oh, yet. I haven't done that. So you got a little bit Tommy. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think he's done well, but he's done well because it's been technology, which has done very well. I mean, the current PE on the fund is 39.2 times earnings. It's very, very expensive. Right. He also that, has some other stuff in there that, that's... And I got to interrupt you. Does it show what you're looking at when the date of that is on the holdings? Does mm, it show that? I, I, I don't have that information. Yeah, no. see? And that that'd be my only argument because it could be... Uh, do you see the holdings there that he has? I see the top 10 holdings. What, what, what are they? Probably. Oh, this is, this is why I said... All right, go ahead. Get out of it. <laughs> 
So the top 10 holdings occupy 50%. So this gives you a pretty well, good understanding of what's in it. A lot of times when you see the top 10 holdings, sometimes it'll be like, oh, this is 3% of the entire portfolio. So, well, that's not very helpful. Give me 50%. Ah, you get a pretty strong idea. Microsoft is 9% of the portfolio. Apple's 6% of the portfolio. Facebook's 6% of the portfolio. Micron's 6% of the portfolio. Amazon's about 4% of the portfolio. So, I mean, there's a lot of, of course, that frothy tech in there that, that we're very concerned about. And, you know, maybe, as Brent said, he's done well. I, I, I don't know if you would sell the whole thing, maybe especially if it's in a taxable account, you don't sell the whole thing. I know if it was my money, I would not want to be in this fund. And, and my only argument to that would be that it used to be, and I, th I don't think it's changed, a fund manager releases their information every six months. So we could be looking at something from six months ago, and perhaps a fund manager has cut those positions, done some other things on it. And I think yeah, Jason, the most recent was at the beginning of the year when it, it got up. I got my updated info. So. Okay. And, and again, Chase and I have talked about how we're doing more selling. Perhaps he is as well. You'll still be in those positions, but perhaps uh, does it say how much cash is in that uh, fund, Chase? Ask me all these questions. Uh, right now, it's, <laughs> <laughs> right now it says, and, and I don't know when this information is from. Uh, just kind of looking at it briefly, cash is 079 percent with uh, 99.16% in stocks. Wow. So if there's some way you could get even that answer to what it is now, because I was still 99% invested, I'd say, like Chase, sell on Monday. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> the other thing, too, to think about is that if it is a mutual fund, what happens is, is they're subject to net redemption. So let's say technology yeah. does start to be problematic. Let's say you start to get a pullback. People, we know they're, they're very impatient. They'll start to sell because they're emotional when things pull back. Well, now he's going to have to sell those positions to meet the redemption. If he had a little bit of cash yep. in there, he could meet those redemptions with cash in the portfolio, but then he'd be forced to sell it perhaps in an opportune time. So I, 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 I'm not loving this fund, I guess. It, uh, you know, I can see why it's done very well, but I just I do have a lot of concerns about technology over the next few years. Yeah. yeah. And, and oh, yeah. Right, man, believe me, I'm in that world, and, and you're a, a lawsuit away or a regulatory body <laughs> investigation away from things going down 20% in two days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, Steve, this is why we do individual equities, because we know what we have versus the fund manager, because he could have sold half his positions already. Uh, maybe he hasn't. Uh, so you're kind of investing blindly a little bit on what they're doing. So that's why we don't like mutual funds, and plus it's chase of the net redemptions. Already? All right, thanks. Okay, so I appreciate the info, guys, and uh, keep, keep up the good work. All right, thank you. Have a good one. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye. Jason, you mentioned the net redemptions. You explained it a little bit, yep. but this is one thing why people would want to look at the webinar because we explain stuff like that in the webinar. And again, it's, it's up now. They have to sign up for it. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. It's not just the net redemptions we go over. Many different things that we don't have time to talk about on air here. We talk about in that webinar, and it's free. It doesn't cost anything. You just have to sign up at the website, smartinvesting2000.com. All right, uh, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hi, Brent and Chase. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, um, I know you guys uh, love General Motors. You've, you've talked about it several times, so I know you're, you're uh, big on that particular automaker. But could you take a look at Ford and uh, give me an idea of what maybe what's wrong with Ford or uh, just a general overview of Ford? You know, I've been a car guy since I was eight years old. I used to love Ford when I was younger. 
I'd never forget. People said Ford stands for fix or repair daily. Never forgot that. (laughs) (laughs) But let's take a look at the numbers on Ford to see what we can see as investments, see how it goes. And I will say off the bat that I know that they are kind of lagging on the EV market. But let's look at the numbers here. Uh, Company, again, is Ford Motor Company, symbol is F. No P.E. ratio, which means they have no earnings over the last 12 months. We do see price to sales looks, wow, looks very good. 0.36 versus 3.6 for the industry, but that probably does include Tesla in there, so that's probably why it's that's so high. Uh, price to book value is 1.4 versus 10.5. Uh, price to cash flow, 6.1 versus 22. So that looks pretty good uh, for the valuation ratios for Ford. We do see that their sales are down 18.5% year over year. Industry down 11 Earnings per share fell by 1,444. Industry was down 11%. The balance sheet looks horrendous. Uh, current ratio 1.2, same as the industry, but debt to equity 526 versus 188. But again, you got to understand that they do loans and let people borrow for the cars and so forth. So that's mixed in there. You got to separate that out. Uh, I believe the only place you can find that, Chase, is what, the 10Q, right? Uh, yeah, that, that's yeah, where you can find it in most detail. Most detail. Uh, we do see return on equity a negative four versus a positive four point one. Net profit margin a negative one versus a positive one point three. And then receivable turnover is thirteen point two versus three point one. Inventory turnover eleven point two versus nine. What about the numbers going forward, Chase? Yeah, so current price here four four eleven dollars fifty eight cents, right near the fifty two week high of twelve dollars and fifteen cents, well off the fifty two week low of three dollars and ninety six cents. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.55. It would give us a target sell price of $25.73. But with auto companies, we've always kind of been a little bit hesitant on the 16.6 because it's so cyclical that, you know, they could make $1.55, then it could pull back to under a dollar. Yep. Now <clears> you're <throat> trading at maybe a higher valuation on that and you're forced to sell during a down cycle. So it's it's a little bit hard to kind of estimate that with Ford and uh, I have been a little bit higher on GM just because I, I think that they're transitioning more to a technology company, that they have a lot in the pipeline there. Where Ford, I, I just have the concerns about if they've invested enough over the last few years to really put them on par with the other automakers. And I think they are trying to get to the EV market, but I think they're behind like two or three years. Um, and that's why the numbers for Ford look pretty good. But also, too, I'm a little bit worried about 2022. I think we'll see higher interest rates. People buying cars like crazy now, they may slow down on buying their cars in 2022. I think General Motors being the EV market may weather the storm. Perhaps Ford won't because it takes a long time. R&D takes a long time. And, and I will say as well, another thing I liked about GM is they, on their last conference call, talked a lot about trying to get more subscription revenue, trying to get that reoccurring revenue, yeah. which will take some of the cyclicality out of the business. Uh, we don't own Ford. We haven't read a whole lot on the business practices, so I'm not sure if they have that same type of mindset of trying to find ways to get that subscription revenue. If they do, maybe it works out for them, but I, I, as I said, just am concerned a little bit on the tech side that they might be lagging there. And, and, and Tim, it, it could be a good buy. I mean, you'd actually have to read more about the business to see if what we're speculating on here is correct for, for Ford. I do know that the, a lot of their sales are coming from their F-150, their Ford trucks, so that's good for now, but it may not be going forward. So if you want to invest in Ford, it could be a great investment, but you got to understand more about it because I, I just believe GM is, again, two to three years ahead of them in technology. Already? Very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Tim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one.
Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I was going to say, it's such a disappointment because, I mean, last year we saw, it was last year, right, that we saw Ford versus Ferrari, or was that two years oh, ago? Oh, I love that movie, Ford yeah. versus Ferrari. What a great movie. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, I wish we could buy Ford because this movie is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to go out and buy the GT40. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm a Lambo guy, so uh, Lamborghini is my car. I guess, yeah, unfortunately. So, but uh, yeah, but that movie, what a great movie! I haven't seen it. Ford vs. Ferrari, what a great movie! All right, phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. I'd like your opinion on Magnet International. Symbol is MGA. Okay, and do you hold that or look at a buy net? I own it, and I want to know what kind of multiplier to put on it. Okay, uh, we'll do that for you. Oh, it's a Canadian company, so i got to kind of change things a little bit here. Uh, let me see here. Uh, got to update it. And this is one, too. I, I always like it's, a, again, an auto part-type company, and I, I did read something on them last year that they kind of are a little bit more futuristic and kind of maybe assisting other automakers right. more than yeah, they're going to, they're going to build the, they're going to build the Fisker SUV that's going to come yeah. out exposing 2022. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it, this is kind of the idea of, uh, and it, I haven't really looked into it in too much detail, but I, I do recall from the article, they talked about them almost being like a Taiwan semiconductors where they would build the cars and the car companies would become more of a design type company. And then they would actually do the manufacturing. So, um, with that said, I, I haven't looked at it too closely, but I, I thought it was an interesting premise that, that uh, the uh, managers had on uh, Magna International there. Yep. So, all right. Uh, I'm trying to play around, get the right thing, be a Canadian company. I clicked on the wrong thing here, so let me go back to what I was trying to do. I, that's what I think. Uh, the, the foreign companies always kind of mess me up here. So uh, let me go back to Canada because uh, I thought I'm, I'm pretty sure they have an ADR, but it's just not coming up for me. So. It trades under MGA. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. Actually, I, I, I got it here. Okay, I pulled it up. Just unfortunately way on the other side of the screen. But anyways, uh, Magna International, symbol MGA, uh, P-E ratio 33.3. That is below the industry at 103. Uh, price of sales 0.76 versus 1.2. Price to tangible book value, that is 12.1 versus 13. And the price of cash flow, 14.9. Versus 20 for the industry. So the valuation ratios with exception of PE look look okay for us. You don't get a dividend of 2%. They use 47% of their earnings to pay that out. Sales are down 17.2% year over year. When the industry was down 14%, we do see earnings per share fell by 54%. The industry was down 72%, unfortunately. We do see a, qu a current ratio of 1.4 versus 1.6. That's okay. Debt to equity looking very good, 36 versus 94. I like seeing that for the company. Uh, return on equity is 6.8 versus 3.6. That's a positive. Net profit margin checks in at uh, 4.8 uh, versus uh, 1.0. And then uh, receivable turnover, that checks in at 5.3 versus 5.9. And inventory turnover, very important for this company, 8.4 above the industry of 5.5. What do you got for the earnings, Chase? You look at me like you got something good over there. No? Ah, no? Just kicking myself over here. Current price, $83.36. <laughs> I remember looking at this company when it was under $40 a share. Uh, and just another one that, gosh, wish we had cash to buy it. But, you know, the, the one thing I will point out is we did buy something else as well that, you know, did well as well. So yeah. it's, it's, it's always easy to look back and say, ah, <laughs> oh, this one did great. But, you know, we had other things that did well as well. But anyways, 52-week high, $84.43. So right near that in the 52-week low. 
$26.34. So, I mean, it has just done phenomenally over the last 52 weeks. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $7.88. Gives you a target sell price here of $130.81. So, valuations still look very strong on this business. Um, big thing I would have to understand here, Wayne, kind of like what we talked about with Ford, is what type of revenue do they have? Do they have that huge cyclicality that we're concerned about? Do they have kind of more reoccurring revenue? What do their partnerships look like with those auto manufacturers? Because I, I think this one could still be a, a big winner if uh, that article I read last year does kind of come to fruition. And actually, well, they, we, oh, go ahead. They, re, they reported earnings yesterday, which they, they beat estimates on earnings and revenue and had strong guidance going forward. Stock was up $8 yesterday. But I just don't know what kind of multiplier to put on the company. Well, well, going forward, we always put uh, well, and here's something too on on, on uh, Magna. We looked at I looked at this company probably ten years ago. The stock mm -hmm. always seemed to trade between forty and fifty. I think what's mm -hmm. been the game changer is the EV market. Again, we talk right. about different companies getting into that, so they're into that. I think that's why we're now seeing the eighty dollars a share versus the forty to fifty because of that. So I think you'd be kind of generous with this company since they are mm -hmm. taking on that side. And probably give it a Ford multiple of sixteen point five, like Chase. You just did. What, what was your target sell price? One thirty eighty one. Yeah. So, so I think yeah. based on how this company has changed, I would want to know mm -hmm. how much of the EV market is going to be for this company. But I think that's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. So. And they were rumored a few about a month or so ago about getting involved with Apple, but I don't think that's going to happen. So. Yeah, I mean, Apple was going to get involved with somebody else. Was it Nissan? Uh, well, they talked about Kia. Kia. They talked about some other. Hyundai. I think they, they talk, I don't I, I don't know what's going on with the whole Apple craze, to be honest. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It's like, uh, they want, I think they want all this power. And it's like, well, you don't have the manufacturing ability, so yeah. no. <laughs> That's why they should buy Ford. They got $40 billion. There you go. <laughs> I appreciate your help, Jim, and I'll hold on to it for a while. Thank okay, you. Wayne. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. YouTube, bye. All right. I was going to say that opens up the phone line, but gosh, it's already 5 to 10. Where'd your time go? It was quick. It was very quick. So, you know, we also talked about uh, how to do the research on the company, some other things. We talked about um, uh, the, the PE ratio. Again, it comes back to that webinar. I mean, these are all things. If you hear our radio show and say, what do they mean by that? You know, what do these guys really do? They manage money. You want to go to our website, watch the webinar. It's what is it? 60 minutes long? Uh, I think it's like an hour and 10 minutes. Hour yeah. and 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And the phone number on our website is up in the top left-hand corner. Right-hand. Right-hand corner. Okay, well, I'm looking at the other side. <laughs> top right-hand <laughs> corner. Uh, if you're having trouble, uh, call that number. Uh, it's in a phone tree. Ask for Janae. Uh, you, and you are on the phone tree, correct? I don't remember doing that, so I'm glad that was done. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of different things, so I forget what I do sometimes. Um, but just uh, press the, the uh, prompt for Janae, and she can kind of walk you through it. Oh. Well, we have some time left here, so I, I think uh, I did kind of want to go back to the Magna type sure. um, discussion. And, and the big thing kind of Wayne asked about was, you know, applying a different multiple to it. And the big thing I would kind of tell him, I wasn't sure how much time we we're going to have. So I, the big thing I would have to say is you really have to understand where the sales are coming from. Yeah. I mean, if if they have like, again, kind of what we talked about with Cummins, they have all this concentration of revenue that could be problematic. We always talk about when you're buying a business, you don't want to just find the positives. It's very easy to find positives in companies. I mean, right. the difficult part is trying to find the negatives and kind of trying to find the thesis of why you shouldn't invest in the company. 
and you might find some things with Magnus. Ooh, I don't know if that that's going to help them in the long term. And you're right about the EV market. If they do have like a drivetrain on there that they can install for all their clients, and hey, we have now three automakers makers we're working with. The 16.6 makes sense. But gosh, if they have, you know, let's say if they've historically traded at, you know, eight, 10 times earnings for the last 30 years, the likelihood they go to 16.6 because it's such a cyclical stock, uh, not very high. So yep. I, I would have to say, understand where that revenue is coming from, understand what type of revenue it is as well, and understand how they do during downturns. If the downturn is long enough, generally a parts company, I think they, they do a lot of parts for new uh, uh, vehicles. But, so. but generally, when you have a slowdown or a recession, or a, we won't say depression, but I hope you don't, uh, a slowdown, people stop buying new cars, they keep their cars longer, and then they need part replacement. So that's when I kind of look at, well, this could be a good one if they make parts for like Napa and uh, O'Reilly. O'Reilly. That's my daughter's name, Chase's yeah. name, Riley. <laughs> we always make fun of that. But, but again, you look at, they could be buying those from that. So it's the used, not the used, well, yeah, the used car part industry to where you want uh, to fix your car as well as buy a new one. That's when they could do well. Well, I mean, gosh, they could have a kind of a, a great combo there and serve both markets where they can kind of aid the downturn with the used car parts. I mean, that's what we like is when there is a downturn, it's like it might not be as profitable as the new cars, but it can get them through the difficult times and you won't be worried about holding a company. Oh, my gosh, they're going to have to take on debt. They might not make it through it. They do have kind of a way to aid some of the pain. Kind of like we talked about Molson Coors earlier was, you know, even though the bars got shut down, well, hey, you can still get their alcohol at the grocery store. You know? And so. remember, Packard, that was the same thing, how, how good their resale parts were yeah. during the downturn. I think they had a profitable year every year for like 40 or 50 years. Yeah, or something crazy. phenomenal. Yeah, so so that parts business really helped out Packard a lot on their trucks because you had to go back when you weren't buying the new trucks, you had to go back and buy the parts to fix the old trucks and still move them. So that's what you kind of look at for a good business. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, again, it's not a sexy thing where you're going to make a 1,000% yeah. on it, but you know, good, safe, stable businesses that, you know, are going to be here today and around for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I, I think sexy is overrated. I mean, yeah. it, it hurts when it goes the other direction. So we like to have the good, stable businesses and just have this nice return to look up. Wow, over 20 years, I've become a millionaire. Yeah. So I will say sexy loses its lust over time, I guess. You know? As you get older, <laughs> it does. <laughs> Not to say I'm old, but <laughs> I what's the where's where's that song? I need to I need to close out here. All right, here it comes. All right, <laughs> now I can stop talking. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you like to discuss it in more detail, your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at eight five eight five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight. 546-4306 and visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com and for more daily educational information along investment tips go to our Facebook page Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey they show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters closing song Frank Sinatra's My Way is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show we'll talk more right here next week I did all that this program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.